channel 10. <laughs> Recently, like CNN channel 10. And we used to think the people would catch on. No, but like, if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got Time Warner or whatever, like, well, I didn't know that. Do it, yo. yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, on, man? What up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. What up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. What up, yo? CNN, Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Whoa, face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, this grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more Yo. We are back once again. This is the Channel 10 Podcast. It is I, Singard Superior. Um, the Almighty AR is still on hiatus. And yet again for yet another episode, it's kind of sad that he's away because uh, our guest for the day, um, this is someone that, you know, me and uh, Artic have been talking about bringing on pretty much since like the inception of this podcast and everything like that. Um, he's a really dope artist. I've been listening to him since I was in high school and everything like that. Um, he has a new dope, dope album entitled Deutsch Marks um, out right now. He has an upcoming album coming out or project coming out with uh, Bronze Nazareth, who is also, if you are a regular listener, someone that we uh, tend to mention from time to time with our, uh, with our Wu-Tang conversations and whatnot. So I'm pleased to uh, have Willie the Kid on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, Willie. <laughs> I appreciate y'all, man. You know what I mean? I, I wish AI was around, man. It'd be good to chop it up with him, too, if he's supporting the sound. That'd have been dope, you know what I mean? And chop it up with the brother. But yeah, man, and you know, I'm good to be here, man, for sure. My co-host, love him to death. He, you know, we're cousins, but he, he goes ghost a lot of times, and so he just disappeared on me. <laughs> so, yeah. Family, though. That's family. We know we, know we, can, we can rely on family that way, you know what I mean? You know, we we gotta step away. We can step away, and family will hold it down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. So, um, so yeah, let's just take it all the way back for uh, for the listeners, real quick. So, you are from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and um, I I assume you're like around the general area of Madison and Dickinson. Yeah, yeah, a couple. I stay in a couple hoods in Grand Rapids, but that's the hood out. You know. That's the hood that, you know, a lot of work got put in around there. You know what I mean? So that's the hood. You know, Madison, that's the area for sure, for sure. And your father was a DJ, so you've had quite a bit of just a hip-hop hip hop influence growing up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, indeed. Right. So with your, with your father, was he, like a, um, was he like a party DJ or like a disc jockey at a radio station? Radio you station? know, Grand, Grand Rapids, it, 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 it wasn't official like that. It wasn't a lot of urban clubs. It, it wasn't that type of scene, you know what I mean? It wasn't like back then, there wasn't even an FM radio, urban radio station in the city. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So mm -hmm. it was AM radio. My, my, my father just happened to be one of the people who, who, who had a little bit of money and was able to invest into the music as a fan. So my dad had turntables, crates and records, the big ass concert speakers in the house, you know what I'm saying? He was able to invest in it. He had nice cars with, with, with nice systems, you know, he used to like take vinyl and, and, and burn from the vinyl to the cassette tapes so he could play the vinyl in the car off the cassette tapes, you know what I'm saying? So he's like one of the people that 
always invested in his love of music. So he kind of was a DJ by default because if somebody was having a party or a little cookout, he'd provide the music. Somebody was getting married, had a little wedding reception, he'd provide the music. If somebody in the neighborhood wanted to get the brand new Public Enemy album and, 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 and wouldn't go to this record store and buy the record, but one of my dad would take and burn it from the vinyl and put it on the cassette tape and people come by the house and just buy the tapes off of them like that. So he was a DJ in that sense, just by, just by, by trade, by default, you know? Word, word. And so, all right, so you had this influence with your father, and, and of course, your, and of course, your brother, who is La the Dark Man. Um, and so, you, so did you start writing uh, like when you were like in the first grade or something like that around that time? I've honestly been writing music as long as I can remember. May have been kindergarten, you know what I'm saying? I've been <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I've been a fan of the music since I was little. I used to go to the playground and and rap some music, kid and play, Fresh Prince, whatever, Coogee Rap, whatever, Run DMC and say it was mine. You know what I mean? Like, I was, right. I was that kid. Because, like, a lot of my friends, like I said, they wasn't invested in the music the way I was. So by the time, like, we got a little bit older, and you got, like, Tribe Called Quest, and you got Mob Deep, and you got Nas, I just like that coming out. My friends still wasn't in it the way I was in it. So I go, I mean, one time I spit the whole Five Dog verse, Rest in Peace Five Dog, by the way, and Rest in Peace Prodigy, too, by the yeah, way, too. Man, yeah. um, um, I, I spit the whole Five Dog verse from Butter off the Low End Theory album. <laughs> I spit the whole verse in my man crib. I told him it was mine, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, like, he was like, damn, you nice, you nice, you know what I'm saying? But I ended up telling him it wasn't mine. I had to play the song for him to put him on as a tribe. But that's how much I was invested in the music more so than my friends were. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I, and I, um, I recall you saying in an interview that you had like Midnight Marauders and your and your brother had Thirty Six Chambers and y'all swapped, right? Yeah, yeah. I was. I had. It's funny, man. I, I don't. Even, I don't even remember saying that in the interview. You're funny. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a true story. That's a true story. My brother had this, um, he had this black Malibu, you know what I'm saying, all tinted out rims and all that. And and Tribe, Tribe Midnight Marauders and 36 Chambers came out at the same time. And I was banging the Tribe, banging, banging the Tribe. But back when Super Nintendo was lit, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm mean, playing the video game, listening to telling my brother, yo, this this it. But he already knew Tribe was live because he put me on to, um, like the first Tribe album, uh, Can I Kick It and uh, Footprints and all of that. But then the album, well, he put me onto that. And that kind of sent me on the Tribe mission. Then Low End Theory, of course, that was, you know, that was banging. That was incredible. And then by the time Midnight Marauders came out, M-E-T-H-O-D, Method Man was the liveest. That was live. You know what I'm saying? And, and Grand Rapids around my friends, it was a lot of Tribe. People would listen to that. A lot of West Coast music, you know, Snoop and all that. And, you know, The Chronic and all that. But my brother was like, nah. Wu-Tang, I'm telling you, Wu-Tang, you know what I mean? So he had this tape, this Ron G tape, and it had M-E-T-H-O, he had that on there, mm -hmm. and it had Black, it had um, Mad Lion, Take It Easy, you know what I'm saying? So them two songs was playing back to back to back to back, Take It Easy, Mad Lion, and M-E-T-H-O, and I'm like, yo, he said, yo, you gotta check out this Wu, man, I check out this Wu, and we played M-E-T-H-O, that summer, and then I think the 36 Chambers came out that fall, if I'm not mistaken, going into the wintertime. And yeah, he put me on to it, man. I was I was lit every since. <laughs> cool. And uh you know, another thing about you that that's interesting is the fact that, you know, you're you're pretty much like an all-around artist. I, I I recall you you know saying in other interviews that, you know, you've been going to art schools and everything like that, and you've always had an interest an interest in like visual art and you used to write, you know, movie scripts as a child, which is I don't think a lot of people, a lot of regular people do that. Um so I'm 
um, yeah, I'm curious to know what kind of like movies were you writing um way back when, as a kid? kid? Yeah, I. That's a great question. I don't want to say things that people take my ideas and make a blockbuster smash off of it. But as a kid, I I wrote I wrote two I wrote two films. Um, one I wrote it was kind of crazy because I, I wrote it before this. I wrote a I wrote a film about um like if if the South won the Civil War, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I remember like years later, cannabis said it in the rhyme. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Clef, he said it in the rhyme. Would have been the outcome if the South won? Think about that. So, like that's something I had really wrote a movie about before. You know what I mean? And I I even revisited it maybe a few years ago. Um, I was in my undergrad in college. I wanted to, I wanted to produce it, but 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 use like um modern technology and the way things are right now. Mm-hmm. show what that would be like so like, like i mean imagine a slave auction on on the online or internet you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. if one of instagram existed when slavery was a thing you know what i'm saying like one of facebook existed when there was segregation like stuff like that like you think things are accelerated now we're accelerating on reality tv and look at my food i'm eating and look at the cardboard but imagine if the things that we were going through like on, on the civil side of society you know, race relations and whatnot, and, and laws and war. One of that type of thing that molded our country was presented on the platforms we have today. I mean, should it be you, man? It'd be our reality would probably be something completely different. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking like that back as a kid, man. I, I wrote films about that. I wrote a film about that. And I wrote another film and I produced it. I didn't get a chance to actually finish it, but I shot some of it. Mm. I wrote a film about, um, I took like Scarface and Othello, and I wrote like a hybrid script off of those two, you know what I'm saying? So it's about this guy and his friend, and the guy kind of goes off with this girl, and the girl ends up, his relationship with the girl ends up being the demise of what they're doing, you know what I'm saying? So they had this scar, the Scarface thing between the two guys, but then the demise of the operation kind of lends itself to the Othello thing, you know what I'm saying? The black guy with the white girl and X, Y, Z, da, da, da. So yeah, it was kind of ill. I kind of shot a little bit of it, we never finished it. I didn't have a real crew. It was just some guys I knew that had a camera and who shared the vision. I wrote it. We started shooting, but we didn't. We never finished it. I, I might revisit it later. I don't know. <laughs> All right. That, that, yeah, that, that sounds mad interesting. And, you know, the whole thing about, um, you know, your uh, the the uh, what you wrote about, you know, what if the South won, you know, the counterfactual, you know, it kind of harkens back to what you, um, some dope shit you said Um you know, in your latest album, Deutschmarsch, you said change the game like the cotton gin. I got it in, like, like some dope shit. So, like, as a kid, like, were you like, were you just like always into history or something like that? Like, just reading history books or something? Yeah, my mom's. You know what I'm saying? My my brother too, for that matter. You know what I'm saying? Always, you know, use the mind as a tool. Always shopping with the mind. Always presenting books and you know opportunity to learn. And I was always take interest in that thing, man. I was always something in my house or my family, you know, a lot, a lot of learned people in my family. You know what I mean, you and my brother, you see lying things he's doing. People, people don't really know him you know, the way that I know him, but he's a scholar first, you know what I'm saying? And that's just something from my family. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times you got to listen really deep in the music to catch certain things, but mm-hmm. I just come from that stock, man. You know what I'm saying? Everybody in my family is pretty much a scholar, a learned, a learned person, people interested in history and government and, and geography and all kind of scholastic outlets, you know, and that was always a thing that we was into. So I'm just, I'm just, I was always a person who, who was fortunate enough to wear it on my sleeve more than anybody in my family, I think. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of my cousins and my brother doing a lot of different things to, to pave certain lanes for people to do what we had to do. But 
me myself, I was able to always be this smart kid. I was able, I was always able to be that. You know what I'm saying? And as I got older, I found ways to put that into my music more and more naturally. You know what I'm saying? Naturally, because it's, it's, it's organic. It's really who I am. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, because another reason why, like, I, honestly, um, I, you know, I'm sure there's probably someone else who has, you know, mentioned like some shit like the cotton gin, like in a rhyme, but I can't recall. And so just like hearing, you know, you mention like something like the cotton gin, and I, and I have an interest in it because I, I study history. Um, it's just fucking dope. I mean, cause you know I'm, I'm writing lectures and shit like that. And I'm talking about the cotton gin. And I'm, I have you playing and shit. I'm like, oh, this nigga just mentioned the fucking cotton gin. So, so yeah, yeah, shit was dope. People don't know, don't know about that. Eli Whitney and the cotton gin, and you know, and the whole that whole dynamic. That's a, a element, especially today. That's an element. That's a direction that we don't hardly touch on at all when it comes to urban music. You know, rap music, we don't even pay that shit no attention no more. Like that type of, I ain't talking about the cotton gin itself, I'm talking about just a direction. Mm. Even talk about to reference anything from that, you know, from that part of history or that part of our existence, reality. People don't talk about that because that to me, it all go back to commerce. That was a money thing. You know what I'm saying? Like that wasn't more more so than, a, than oppression. It was about some money. You know what I'm saying? So... When I related that in that rap, I'm, 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 man, that's, that's commerce. You know what I'm saying? That's a money-minded reference. But then it also has its social and cultural and, 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 and somewhat painful, you know, uh, connotations as well. So, yeah. You know? Right. Right. I mean, it was dope, man. And, um. Uh, dope, dope reference. Yeah. Um, and, all right, so, um, this is a, this is actually a question that, like, my, like, my brother wanted, to, uh, wanted me to ask you, too. And I'm, I'm really curious, too, um, since, ever since, like, yesterday, um, so your brother's a lot of dark man and you and you went to the same high school as Bronze Nazareth, right? Now did, uh, did you know Bronze like um during high school or you just or you guys like just knew each other in passing? Bronze was older than me, but he younger than my brother, you know what I'm saying? So me and Bronze, I I knew him, I knew who he was, but we wasn't like sitting by each other in class cracking jokes type of, you know, it wasn't quite like that, but I knew who he was 100%. Like I said, he was older than me, but younger than my brother. When he, when he was making beats, I didn't even know he was making beats, but my brother did, and my brother was dead, like bring him around RZA and, and bring him to the clan and everything, mm. so my brother could probably speak more about the early beginnings more so than I can. I was young, man, you know what I'm saying? So I don't even know. Oh, I know one day we went over Bronze Crib, me and my brother, because he lived by my grandma. Mm-hmm. And we went over, we went over Bronze Crib and he played some beats from my brother. And this is like around the same time while I was taking him around Rizzo and everything. You know what I'm saying? And Bronze is making his moves. Like I said, I knew who he was. I knew he was dope. We had no work together. We wasn't hanging out in Grand Rapids like that. It wasn't until later when I, when I, when I professionally started making music that I, you know, had a chance to work with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it just makes so much sense because, I mean, you know, you guys are like different ramas and everything like that, but you guys have like, you know, similar wavelengths. And I mean, like, you know, Bronze is pen, man. Like, I feel like this nigga writes by like a sundial or something. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it, man. When we started the Living Daylights Project, it made a lot of sense. Because I told, I think I told him, I mean, I texted him or hit him on Twitter. So I said, yo, we got work, man. Like, you understand how, how we never worked together? This is ridiculous. I was kind of mad, you know what I mean? Like, in a, in a good way. I'm like, yo, Thor, what are we doing? Like, how we from the same space, from the same cloth, from the same, from the same, from the same. I'm making records, you making records. We ain't got one song together, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, what's up? I remember my brother did some joints. 
for Jay Love. They did a couple records or whatever. And, and one the of the joints we did, yeah, one of the joints we did, I didn't even know Bronze did the beat. You know what I'm saying? And we was in Detroit, and Bronze gave my brother a CD with a whole bunch of beats on it. And we played the CD in the car. And my brother was kind of like, we had to deal with um, with Warner at the time with Asylum. We was working on drama, working on my projects. So that 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 sound that that you know that Wu Tang Claw really wasn't on my brother radar at the time. And he mm-hmm. took the CD out the deck like, nah, this, this ain't really time. I said, let me get that. I took it from. Let me get that. I took the CD. I brought it home. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of beats on it. A lot had in the user for the J Love project. I didn't even listen to it. And then um, when it was time for living things, I was to call Brian. I was like, yo man, what's up, man? Let's work. Yo, we, we got to like, why we not? Come on, man. I see that happening all the time. You see brothers from the same element, but they never work together. Like, oh, word, like you, like you, even, even, even outside of music, shared industries, people should work together more often if you both working towards the same thing. If you contribute something to the, you know, to, to a general project, should work together all the time. So it only made sense. I told Brian, I said, let's, let's make it happen. He seemed like a hundred beats. Out of a hundred beats, we probably, we, probably, we probably picked like, he was saying like 20 batches, 20, 20, 20. You know what I mean? I'm saying about a hundred beats, I probably picked about 15, 16 out the hundred, you know what I'm saying? And it probably was like another 20, 30, 40, 50 that was like just as dope. But I was just, I was just stuck on the ones that I heard them and I immediately envisioned the song. You know what I'm saying? I said, I'm gonna be really selective and really make sure I pick beats that showcase how great bronze is. You know what I'm saying? Some beats, they really dope beats, but it may not be dope enough to make a dope song. It might just be just a dope beat. And Bronze got all his joints to me. I like all the joints. They all banging. But we picked for Living Daylights was a careful, careful, you know, number of records that I think would have made an impact. I think we did just that. Mm, yeah, yeah, no doubt. And so with um, so with all the, you know, with these Wu connections, do you see yourself as a Wu-Tang affiliate? Uh, I, 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 once upon a time, you know, I would have said, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. once upon a time, I would have said no. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I can't call that. I can't, I can't quite say that. But by nature, yeah. You know what I'm saying? By nature, yeah. Because my, my brother is a clansman. And I'm from that. So, yeah. But I don't, I don't champion that. I don't put that on my, on my sleeve. I don't, I don't run with that. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't quite say that. Not until RZA or Devon or somebody like that come to me and say, yo, you know what I mean? Today, and today they knight me like a knight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, I haven't yeah. been knighted, so I, so I, I can't say that. You know what I'm saying? I can't say that. I'm not, I'm not that. I'm just closely related to the, to the Wu blood kin, though. That's, that's for sure. You know what I'm saying? I'm definitely Wu Tang blood for sure, but not. I can't call myself a, uh, you know, Wu Tang member, nothing like that. Nah, I can't, can't say nothing like that. Right, right. Um, and uh, this is gonna be like the, like the last Wu Tang related thing I asked you. Um, it, it's. Oh, okay. Well, um, so it's really ironic because um, I, I don't even know if you remember you uh, remember doing this interview, but uh, you did um, at, like an interview with Matthias Danielson for um, the book The Wu Tang Movement. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, um, so it's so funny I have you on today because I literally just interviewed him yesterday um, for his book, and I bought the book the other day, and. Um, you know, I mean, it's a big book, and so I, you know, I'm flipping through the pages and everything. I saw you in, it and I was like, "Oh, that's fucking dope." So, so yeah. So, I haven't yeah. seen that book. What, what, where you get that? Oh, at? it's on Amazon. He, uh, he, he published it. He published it himself, man. Working on it for seven years. Well, I gotta go check. That. I remember the interview, but I never, I never caught the book. I gotta go catch that. Yeah, man. Yo, like he, he put, he put, like, um, 
uh, I think I still got my notes. Like he, like overall, like he put in like it's like 127 artists in there, artists and groups in there. So yeah, he did his work, man. That's hell. Yeah, it is. Send me, send me up. We got the phone. Send me a link. Text me a link to that. I'm, a, I'm a cop that. Text me a link. All right, but um, I'm sure he'll be excited once I, I tell him that that you're going to do that. Um. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Um. Now, so. Also, when it comes to you, so you just mentioned like a while back that, that you went to college and something that's interesting to me is that uh, I'm sure your parents were also, you know, encouraging you to do it. But your brother also told you like to go to college because the rap career could wait and he wanted you to have like kind of like a regular life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I thank him for that to this day, man. Like, that's a fact. That's a fact. I know some brothers... I know some brothers to this day, you know, and I know them from the, the music business. If they went to breakfast with their grandmother, they'd come in with the whole rap act, brother. You know what I'm saying? The hat, the hat on with the sunglasses and the chain and, the, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, rap has its way of, 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 of absorbing your life and making you 24-7, 365 a product of all of the music and the conversations about the music and what we feel about you, whether positive or negative, you walk around under that cloak all the time and you can never get your Clark Kent on because you got to be Superman all the time. And sometimes Superman ain't, ain't appropriate. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got better be Clark Kent and just sit down and have a regular life and do regular things because it can detach you from reality. It can detach you from your family. It can detach you from yourself. So you got to be mm. careful about that. And I, And that's one thing that as a young guy than me, I didn't know nothing about it. I just wanted to be a superstar rapper. That's all I know. My brother always told me you got to invest in having a life, though, and then make rap your career. You know what I'm saying? And it's a double-edged sword because you could say that you're not 100% invested in it. You don't put yourself out there like that. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I know I still got my regular life. Even if the rap stops tomorrow, I still got a beautiful life. I got a beautiful family. Thank God, I got, a, I got, I got. It's a, it, my day to day life is beautiful. You know what I'm saying? So I made sure that that was together before we even talk about anything rap. Cause some brothers they get a bad comment or a bad output on an album or a bad anything in their rap career, and they whole everything is just it's crushed. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And everybody know rap is a roller coaster, man. And some brothers be invested to the point where. If this don't work, they like don't work. You know, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? You could say that that's a level of commitment and investment. That's valuable, but at the same time, I think it's too risky. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather know that even when the rap stops, I still got a relationship with my my family, a relationship with myself, a relationship with God, a relationship with with real life, even if this shit stops tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? That's just me. And... What's what's so dope about you is that you kind of, to me, it seems like you killed two birds with one stone when it came to at least like the first part of your education because you, uh, so you got like a whole bunch of like college credit in high school. So then by the time you went to Clark Atlanta, you only had like two years left. Yeah, it could breathe, breeze through that, breeze through that easy. <laughs> Yo, that's true. Like, that easy. It was it was more than two years, but but yeah, uh, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it was more than two years, but yeah, yeah. Exactly though. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went to prep school and middle school. So when I got to high school, high school was a piece of cake. So there's so I was taking college courses in high school because high school was so easy. And even in college, college was easy too. All that shit was easy. I tell my son that to this day. I said it's a mentality. You know what I'm saying? Like 
If you look at things like they're difficult, then they're going to be difficult. You know what I'm saying? But if you look at things like they're not, that, that, like, like they're easy, mm-hmm. you're going to treat it as such. You know what I'm saying? I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I always treated life like that. Oh, this ain't shit. No matter what it is, this ain't nothing we're going to do it. You know what I mean? And that's how we was able to excel like that. But yeah, man. Mm-hmm. So why did you pick Clark Atlanta? Uh, because of the history. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. um... I was going to go to New York. I was going to go to L.A. One or the other. My family's from New York, so I was going to go to New York because I got family there. You know, L.A. was lit because I can, you know, get into movies and music and entertainment and everything and be on the beach and, you know what I mean, <laughs> weather and all that and be, and be in Cali. But it was kind of far. I was, you know, I was 17. You know, it was kind of far. So, um, Atlanta, you know what I'm saying, at the time was, 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 you know, was bubbling. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, like, the, the movement for music was coming out of Atlanta, you know what I'm saying? And all the way back from before, I mean, my buddies would come home all the time talking about all these stories about Atlanta. They had the WooWare store down here back in the 90s, mm-hmm. and Eric Sermon was down here, and, and Five Dog was down here, God bless him. And, and Atlanta was just lit forever. It always been lit, you know what I'm saying? And good black women, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Find your wife and all that, you know what I mean? Like, it always was lit. Atlanta was always a, a spot. And then the AUC, all the black schools, it was just always a dope place, you know what I'm saying, in conversation with a dope place to go. So I was like, yo, I'm gonna go to Atlanta. It just it just kinda crossed all the T's and dotted the I's, whether it's personal life, entertainment, education, it kinda just a good place for young black people, you know what I mean? It was just it kinda just had more stars next to it than anywhere else. So mm-hmm. Clark was just, you know, one of the live schools at the time for sure. I was like, I'm gonna go to mm-hmm. Clark and knock it out. Go to a black school, you know, school days and different world and all that. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know what I mean? It just, it just had all of the pieces there. You know what I mean? It made more sense since it coming to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Now, now, so so your parents dropped you off like Clark Atlanta, and then like the you know you had education on your mind, but you said that you also had on your mind that you had to find a place to record a demo and have like all these different kinds of like you notes, know, kind of like a party song, like an underground song, so like people could fuck with you and everything like that. Which I I found really like you know like kind of like really like mad smart and like really calculated because you know you like you know you really killing two birds with one stone which you really ended up doing getting your like getting your degree there, um in mass communications right and um and which I'm sure you know that really heavily relates to you know to what you do now and with everything you're doing which I wanna I wanna get into in, in a little bit. You go there and then you meet and then you you meet Twiz right in your dorm room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did your research, brother. <laughs> oh, you yeah, did man. your research, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. I met Twins in my building. He uh he he was a few doors down from me and he um he had some equipment in his room and like I said, I knew I I didn't know how I was gonna go about it, but if I could get these certain songs done that touch on different type of, you know, uh, uh, subject matter and type of you know, lanes, I could present this to somebody and say, yo, this is what I can do. My range is this broad. This is what it is. That was a, like, a, like a desperate pitch because I thought I wouldn't have enough time or enough resources or enough access to create a whole bunch of music. So I thought I'd be able to just jump in somewhere real fast, record a quick demo, and then just push that demo everywhere I go. That was my game plan. But my man Twiz, he happened to have a whole setup in his room. He was like, yo, you know, Every day you hear him playing music all day. I get home from school, from class, and he got this shit booming. I just went and knocked on his door one day, like, yo, what up? You know, I'm Willie the Kid, whatever, I'm from Michigan, yo. You know what I mean? I be spitting. 
yo, you got, you know, some of the shit he playing wasn't nothing I heard before, so I knew there was original tracks, you know what I'm saying? At least a couple of them. So I'm like, yo, you make beats? He was like, nah, nah, my cousin make beats. I said, okay. I said, yo, I'm trying to get on some joints, you know what I'm saying? Ask your cousin, you know, you want to send me some beats or whatever. And he was like, yo, nah, this is equipment. He'll be here in a couple of weeks. When he get here, you just ask him yourself. I'm just watching the equipment. I was like, bet. <laughs> he was like, yo, like, 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 let me hear you rap. I'm like, yo, all right. So we was in the room. He put on instrumentals, you know what I'm saying? Who got the props or whatever it may be, Jay-Z, joints, whatever. I'll be rapping over the instrumentals all night. We just spitting, freestyling and all that. And we started making noise in the, in, on the floor. And people started coming to the room. Like, yo, what's up, what's up, what's up? And it was a dope thing because at the time, I said we was in Atlanta. So it was people from all over. You know, Jersey, Houston, Atlanta, New York, Michigan, Florida, Texas. Brothers from all over would come to his room and rap. Whole brothers from Minnesota. You know what I mean? Brothers would come through and just rap all different styles in his room. And he would just play all kind of beats and it'd be like this... I wish I had some of this shit on tape right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it should be crazy. They always had the video on tape. But it's just a whole bunch of guys in this room that don't even know each other, but the hip-hop brought everybody to that room. You know what I'm saying? The love of the sport. But everybody to his room. We all be in there rapping all night. And I was like one of the, one of the main guys in the room. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knew, yo, yo really nice. He dope. You know what I'm saying? I'd be rapping all night. I'm, you know, just rapping and rapping and rapping, battling brothers and rapping next to brothers and, you know, Cypher Brothers, and it was kind of known, like, okay, he, yeah, this dude, kind of special, you know what I'm saying? So, one of the nights he was doing it, my man was like, yo, he put me to the side, like, yo, when everybody left there, man, he was like, yo, when my man, yo, when my, my cousin come back to get this equipment, I'm going to tell him to work with you, man, he going to love your shit, man, you dope, you know what I'm saying? Yo, I'm telling you, I, I'm going to put y'all together, y'all going, y'all going, y'all going, y'all going to do it, I can hear y'all together, it's going to work. I was like, cool, you know what I mean, let me know. I was excited, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm coming from Grand Rapids. I don't, I don't believe shit till I see it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, it's whatever. I, I was hyped, but I wasn't, I didn't think too much of it. You know what I'm saying? I was just really hyped, though. I was, I was hoping it would happen. Went back to the room. One day, he came to my door, boom, 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 knocking on the door. Like, yo, my cousin, he's here, he's here, he's here. I'm like, bet, let's go. So I walked to the room. Like, yo, Willie the Kid, it's my cousin, Don Cannon. I was like, oh, okay, what's up? I met him, like, what's good? He's like, yo, my cousin said, you nice, man. We're going to work, man. We're going to work. He already told me you dope. We're going to work. Now, mind you, at the time, Don Cannon was a college student at Clark, too. So mm. he wasn't the Don Cannon we know today. You know what I'm saying? He was a kid just like me. He was, you know, was older than me, of course, but he wasn't. Nobody knew him outside of that campus. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> he didn't have a name at all. So, so me, him looking at me and seeing something, I was looking at him and seeing something, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, he wasn't nobody. I was like, yo, I made it. I met Don Cannon. Nah, I just met some guy who make beats. But I know he dope. And he telling the same thing as, to me through his cousin. So he, one time I seen him out about moving around. He was like, yo, come by the crib. You know what I'm saying? I think I spit for him. And his cousin and he said, yeah, you dope. He was already sold. They said, come by my crib. I'm by the crib. And he was living with some brothers. They was all making music at the crib. So I go to the crib and I rap for them at the house. And I, man, yo. I had the whole house on fire. They're like, yo, yo, you stick around. You dope. We're going to fuck with you. Stick around. Stick around. And then, yo, his, the, the brothers he was living with, Peace the Tone, and then City was living with them, and they was doing music, and they had, like, a little music group and shit. And I was, like, helping them with records, jumping on records and pushing their brand and hyping them up and, you know, holding them down. But he kept telling me the whole time, when I get done with this project, we're going to do your project. And he kept telling me that. Just stick around. Stick around. We'll do your project. And we did that, man. They got done with their joint. We did our project. 
and pressed it up and, and sold them on the college campus and sold them downtown Atlanta and had, had, you know, had them in the book bag, CDs, <laughs> and just selling them. You know what I'm saying? And them shit sold out. I made a little bit of money. And he was like, yo, people was coming back to him like, yo, this little dude you have one, man, he's dope, he's dope, he's dope. I'm like, yeah, that's my artist, Willie the Kid. You know, he nice, he nice. So, and we kind of like, from, from that point on, we was just like twins, man, every day. Me and Kenny, every day, every day, every day. Making the music, pushing the music. He was DJing, so we'd do the parties. You know what I mean? I carried the back a record crate. So it was that long ago, <laughs> carrying the record crates. You know what I'm saying? Just holding them down. Like, yo, we're going we gonna, to we gonna get a deal, we're going to blow. My man going to get a production deal, and he's going to sign me, and we're going to blow. And that was, always, that was always the move. So as he moved around, he got his name gone. Got his name blown up, and, um, and, and Drama had a bigger name than him. Drama wasn't on campus no more. He graduated and was making his move in the city, moving around him and since both. And Drama will always come back and, to the campus and took a liking to Cannon and to bring Cannon around and, and, and show him different things and let him meet different people and open up for him with shows and help him sell his mixtapes. We sell his mixtapes, and he'd bring Cannon, and Cannon would bring me. You know what I'm saying? So I'll be with Cannon and Drama, and, and we basically from that, and of course, Sense was there as well, because Sense and John were roommates, so it was Sense, John would be Sense to be there, like I said, John would bring Cannon and Cannon to be me, so it's me, Sense, John and Cannon, you know, and my man Ace McCloud, which was an affiliate of, no pun intended, was affiliate of Sense <laughs> and John at that time out of Philadelphia, and he basically helped them to develop the company, like, yo, y'all should be a company, y'all should be our own DJ group, be your own thing. Sense is on the radio, you know what I'm saying? So he had that plug on the mainstream. Jama was the guy with the mixtapes and all that. And Kenny was this young, new, hot DJ. You know what I'm saying? And I was the artist. And we took that and we pushed that and made a name in Atlanta. Locked down some stores. The mixtape thing started growing. And then brothers needed management. And I brought my brother in. I brought Lion for some management. And the rest is history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, you know, uh, and then also you uh, you used to record on a four track back in the like well in the early days, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, you get your history for real. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I was I was yeah doing this research yeah because like um yeah I wasn't aware that you carried crates and everything like that. So I mean, you really did put your you put your work in, man. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, so this project that 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 you that you sold like locally all around Canvas and all through the city was that state of the state of art. By any chance? Damn, son. Yes. <laughs> Yo, you really did your research for real. So, yeah, state of the art. Exactly. Yep. That's that project. 100%. Mm. Mm. Okay. Damn. <laughs> um, Salute to you, brother. That's thorough. Well, thank you, man. Um, so, I think you probably know what I'm going to ask. Like, uh, Willie, what, 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 what's good with that? Can we hear that? Yeah, you can hear it. I got it on CD. I can um, <laughs> I can upload it on SoundCloud or something like that. I might do that. That's a good idea. I might do that. That was uh, Don Cannon did like what seven joints, and my man Detroit Red did two joints, and then my man Big Jonas from Gun Rule he came down and he jumped on like two joints. You know, he did he 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 did maybe three. He did two joints for me and he did a solo, and I did four dolo. DK Damn. Red did two and Kenny and Kenny did the rest. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, we did that on the four track. We did that Damn, on, on, a, on a four track machine. Like I don't even. This is this is where I was I was Kenny could chime in because he could tell you how he did it. I don't even know what he had the ASR Pro, the the X, the red, the red one. He mm. had that, and 
and Detroit Red had the same one. And then Detroit Red had a, um, I think he had a, a Sonic 2, the keyboard. He had one of those too. And we was running the beats through one channel on a four track. And then we used the other channel for the recording. And we just hold the button down and put a sock on the microphone and go in the closet <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And just knock it out, man. <laughs> Talk about hungry, super hungry, man. This is before we had Pro Tools and all that. I like that line when Drake said, uh, where your ass is at? We recorded in the bathroom. I remember that when he said, every time I hear that line, I think about them days, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, because yeah. yeah, you, you used to record in drama's bathroom, right? Yeah, I did that too. We did right. that. That was way that was way later. That's that's after we already had it moving. Drama Creed, he lived on Glen Iris. It's kinda uh gentrified right now, like a whole nother area right now, but he lived on Glen Iris and that's that that actual crib was a duplex. Since stayed on one side, drama stayed on the other side, and the drama side of the house, that's where Lil John came and did that gangster grizzly where that drop <laughs> come from. That was yeah, right yeah. there. That, that was right there in his apartment on Glen Iris. Everybody came through there. T.I. came through there. Big Boy came through there. Lil Scrappy came through there. Killer Mike came through there. Everybody came through that crib. You know what I mean? That crib is like, that's like low-key. That's like the early, like, that's the early beginning D&D of Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Drama crib right there. Like, that's equivalent to, almost equivalent to D&D. You know what I'm saying? For upcoming out of GV movement came up through there. T.I. movement came up through there. You know, Ludacris passed through there, you know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people came through there to plug in to that, that mixtape network, for sure, for sure. When it comes to the state of, like, your, uh, your, your first LP, around what time did, like, did you guys record that? Because I know that you, you got to, you got to college around, like, what, 2004, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So State of the Art had to be 2005, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not even sure, man. I should know this, but I, it was it was definitely as soon as I got there. You know what I'm saying? As soon as I got there. But we, it wasn't like a wave like that. It was nothing that 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 we didn't sell a whole 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 bunch of you know units and was blowing up all over the town. It was just something immediate on the college campus and everywhere that that that, that Don would go and DJ certain promoters, certain mixtape stores. It was a very it was a very small thing. It didn't really mm. catch on fire till we did Day the Game Change. We did State of the Art, we did uh, Almost Famous, and, and then we did State of, we did uh, Day the Game Change. It didn't catch fire to Day the Game Change, and that was, that was later. That was like 06, mm. 07, yeah. something like that. That was, that was later, so that, it didn't really catch on fire until then, you know what I mean? Yeah, because um, I was going to ask you this one question about day, uh, the day, the, day the, uh, the game changed, because uh, I, I recall in the intro, like you have like, you know, this little intro, and you're talking about, you know, like the, like the work you put in and everything like that, and how people, if I recall um, properly, how people try like to get on, you know, a cannon or whatever like that, um, and everything like that. And so, it, you know, you it seems to me that you really use that intro like to really show the people that you actually like put in work. You actually, you know, rhyme for cannon. You, you, you know, you carry crates for people. You know, rhyming on four tracks and everything like that. Because it seems to me that sometimes people get like get misconstrued that you didn't like actually put work in like to like to to be where you are now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, first of all, you know, peace to Guru. You know what I'm saying? God bless the day. I, 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 I copied and jacked that intro from Hard to Earn. That's why I called the mm. intro Hard to Earn because that's from the Hard to Earn album. Guru said that. I just, I just flipped it and, and, you know, and put that out there. Guru already, already coined that. You know what I'm saying? That's why I called it Hard to Earn. I want to think I was trying to like bite it, run with it. It was a tribute 
to what he's saying. It was a tribute to that album. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to earn. Like, this shit ain't come out mm-hmm. the blue. Like, niggas work for it. And another thing, like, speak to your point, the whole time I was making my rounds with, with, with drama and canon and, and live moving around, like, when the Phillies days, a consensus among people who didn't know was that I was just chilling and they put me on. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's, that's definitely a misconception. You know what I'm saying? Like, anybody who knows, and it's not a lot of people who know, but anybody who knows to tell you, I was there from the beginning helping brothers build that brand. I wasn't, they didn't blow up and was these big names and came and gave me a record deal. Like, mm-hmm. that's the misconception that people think. Like, Drama was this big time DJ with T.I. and Jeezy, and I was just some kid who he gave a record deal to. Nah, nigga, y'all got it fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember me, Drama, and Kenny sitting down since too, sitting down and, and piecing up to get pizza. Five dollars a piece to get some pizza, you know what I'm saying? And putting mm-hmm. CDs together in drama living room, you know what I'm saying? Like I was there for that. Or oh, brothers got do a gig and they running late. I gotta be the one to bring the records in while they set up and shit <laughs> like that. Like you know what I mean? Like I like I was there for that type of thing. Or going to the mixtape stores and dropping off CDs and brothers dissing us. Hey, I'm not carrying this. That's back when they when you go to the uh, the clothing stores or the music stores and they have like these big um, CD booklets. Mm. full of mixtapes. I'm talking about everybody was out from J-Love to Cupmaster C to K-Slade to Clue to from the, from the smallest to the biggest mixtapes was in those booklets. And we would come and bring a new Don Cannon mixtape or a new DJ John mixtape and try to get the stores to carry our mixtapes. And they would diss us. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is pre-Gangsta Grills, pre-affiliates and all that. I was there for all that rejection. I was there for all of that work. You know what I'm saying? So, when people saw me with the jewels on, affiliate chain, I'm on stage, I'm rocking, I'm doing my thing. They thought I was just some kid who they gave a record deal to. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind, that's kind of how it can come off, I understand, because I'm not the, I don't got a big mouth. I don't talk a lot. I don't brag a lot. I don't, I don't do things for your recognition. I put the work in and reap the benefits. And that, to me, that's the A to Z for me. You know what I'm saying? I don't do a lot of, yo, you know, Check what I'm doing. Look at me. Y'all owe me this. Pay my dues. I just really paid them for real. You know what I'm saying? And really ate more than I broadcasted it. So you get some guys who don't know no better. They run up and say, yeah, man, why you son with the kid, man? He did it. It wasn't even like that. I helped develop and build what we had. So it was only right that I was putting out my music through that same outlet. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now, speaking of you performing, and I've, I've been curious about this for years because, you know, unfortunately I haven't had the chance to, to actually see you perform live. But um, when you perform, what is, what's the makeup of your audience? That's a good question. It depends on where we are, right? Like, for the most part, like, when we first was really getting busy, it was more of a mixed crowd because, well, it was more of a, a homogenous crowd because we was performing off the Gangsta Grills brand, you know what I'm saying? So a lot of my earlier shows on mainstream outlets came from my affiliation with DJ Drama and the Gangsta Girls brand. So you get, you know, you get your T.I. crowds, your Gucci main crowds, you get that. That's why my label was telling me, yo, my friends and everybody in my business, like, yo, we got to make music to get toward these crowds. But what I was doing simultaneously was I was sticking true to that day the game change, you know what I'm saying, that, uh, that uh, state of the art, that uh, almost famous, that early Willie the Kid thing that kind of like gave me my position from the get go. So simultaneously, if you listen to all my projects, there's always a record in there that kind of sounds like that boom bap sound that's coming back right now. Mm-hmm. I kind of kept my finger on that sound the whole time, especially after we dropped the album 
absolute greatness, I kind of ran right back to that sound. So you listen to like uh, Never a Dull Moment, listen to The Fly, The Fly 2, you know, I mean, all the way up to Masterpiece Theater and, 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 and Living Daylights and all the projects, that I was always positioning myself to be like a new age Nas or Wu-Tang or, and not to even name drop, but just on some, that lane right there. Even when I was at the height of, height of the Gangster Grills and Affiliates moment, I still wanted to be this boom bap artist. And that had its pluses and it had its, and its negatives to it as well. So the crowds would be, if it's a Gangster Grills event, it'd be that, that Southern mixtape street trap crowd, yeah. But if mm-hmm. I was doing a show, let's say my bookings in the Midwest, I was getting booked in Chicago, Detroit, them areas like that. Even to this day, most of my shows are like in that area. Maybe even New York here and there, maybe. But most so in that Midwestern area. If I'm performing there, they came to hear some bars. So you getting mm-hmm. these mix, you getting these mixed routine type of crowds. You know what I'm saying? You getting new people who came to hear some raps. I remember being on tour one time for a Gangster Grills album. This is a major release on Atlantic, and we was on a label tour promotional tour we went to this spot in um, ohio i want to say columbus or somewhere and john was on the mic when i see against the against the grills and aot who like to y'all jeezy i going crazy and some dude jumped up and was like yo yo forget all that let him rap the point i mean let willie the kid rap this man like yeah yeah let him rap and they gave me the mic and i just kicked some shit out capella and the whole crowd went crazy and I, and I and I tapped the drum. I said, "Yo, drum, you see what I'm doing is kind of going off of this path." You know what I'm saying? But at that time, they kind of had me just associated with what drum was doing, which is cool to get my name out there. But I had to get really serious about planting my own two feet and making my own way. You know what I'm saying? Because what I'm presenting organically is a whole nother lane, a whole nother sound. I can dibby and dabby in that Ti trap, Gucci Mane, Jeezy world, but what I really, really do. It's more like some Nas shit, you know what I'm saying, or some Roo shit, you know what I'm saying? And that's what I had to kind of put my finger on and push push forward. So depending on the promoter, depending on the booking, depending on who called, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I did some shows, in, a lot of shows in Chicago coming up, and all they wanted to hear was the shit we were doing on Never Adult Moment and the Fly too. And they didn't want to hear no Gucci Man type of music from the crowd that, you know, I was performing to at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, because um, you know, like when whenever, because I remember one time, like you did like a like a um, you do like small tours like over in Japan and everything like that, and um, whenever I whenever I imagine like your your crowd or everything like that, I imagine honestly that's probably like full of like just black women because of like the formulas because because like the formulas of your mixtapes because you all like nowadays you always have like that one like one or two like you know relationship songs like the peach uh the peach the rock darts. The bathwater runnings, um, like just recently Paula Patton, which is mad dope. How frequently do you perform nowadays? Yeah, right. Right now we rocking from the project. So the project dropped, we performing around the project. You know what I'm saying? But I hadn't dropped the project in the last year or so. I invested in a couple of businesses and started building my businesses up, and wasn't on the road as much. You know what I'm saying? But like now it's picking back up because we got the projects out. So you know what I'm saying? As the projects come out, then you know the shows come back around. But um, speaking of Japan, I put an album out in Japan. So when you saw me mm-hmm. out there, I was promoting the album. I signed a deal with a, a company called Pivine, and mm-hmm. they wanted to fly, the, the Fly series. So I made a hybrid Fly mixtape, and they packaged it up, you know what I'm saying, and put it out at all the HMVs and stuff in Japan. See, Japan still had record stores at the time we did that. Record stores were shutting down in the States. Japan had... 
physical record stores at the time. Some people go and buy CDs and, and, and records and shit. So we did a whole run with uh, the record stores out there and did some shows and all of that for a release of a, a, a commercial album out there. They did vinyl and all that. So it was crazy. You know what I'm saying? And um, as far as the ladies, like that's just, like I said, that's just me being straight up. Like I said, you go to all my projects, like you just said, you would always find a, a record like that. And that's not me. Uh, trying to make a record for the ladies. Like, that's corny, you know what I'm saying? That's really me. Mm. That's honest. This is honest music, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's honest, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just me being creative and tapping into what I, what I, what I really be going through. What I really, you know what I'm saying? Like, what really, what's really real, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just me taking my creative freedom and my liberty to talk about real life shit. And the ladies is definitely instrumental. I mean, how could they not be, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so that is what it is. Right. And the ladies, they they respond. You you, I, I see shit sometimes on Instagram and talk. Damn, you be you be surprised how many ladies really really be listening. You know what I'm saying? On that level, you know they listening, they hear and they like it. But some of the things I be hearing back from ladies is always always motivational. So it's good to hear that. You know what I'm saying? They definitely fucking with it. Right. I mean, like, yeah, because like like the like the thing about like your like your relationship songs or whatever like that is the fact because like they don't seem forced. Where like with like. With like a lot of like with a lot of artists, even like really dope artists, it seems to me at least when you listen to them, they just sound like oh they it's like they have a formula and like when they're like recording an album or something, they're like oh shit I gotta do like you know a little relationship song yada yada yada. But like you're one of the few artists that I actually look forward to like like the one or two relationship songs you have because you always like switch your shit ups like so like so like from Bathwater running and then like Paula Patton like you always have different different angles of like your relationships and like certain certain things that you're doing at the moment which is always dope to catch when you come out with new projects. Right, right, cause it's true, brother, and I'm tell you right now, a lot of artists that make the kind of music I make, niggas really ain't playboys for real, man. Niggas don't really be. You know, doing how to treat ladies and be with women and niggas don't, man, niggas be corny. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, that, and that's no diss at nobody in particular, but I'm telling you, a lot of artists that make the vein of music that I make, they not ladies men. So they can't really make that and make it sound real. You know what I'm saying? If they make it, it's going to sound corny. You know what I mean? Or you get mainstream artists who's not a part of the lane and they making it to, because to, they know ladies want to hear certain type of things. But me, I'm just treating that the same, same way I would treat a rap about streets or the neighborhood or whatever or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all the same. All the records connect like that because they come from an honest place. You know what I'm saying? I can stand by that hundred percent. And a lot of guys, quote unquote similar to me, they, they can't tap into that that way because they don't do that for real. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now now during the uh the gangster grills affiliates days and everything like that, you know, we all know about the, the historic raid and everything like that and and, uh, and, and what happened. Um and in the process, you know, they took hard drives and they took like the masters for your album. And so I'm curious to know, um, did they take like other like albums or projects that you were working on during that time also? <laughs> Yo, you better get your research. That's <laughs> crazy. Yo, nah, at the time, all I was doing was my album. So what they took was my album. You know what I mean? They took, they took some, um, it took everything, man. So I, I don't even, I, they took, they took, everything and that's so much the case that i don't even know what all they took you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. whatever we had at the time was gone you know what okay. i mean that's that's music hard drive equipment cars whatever you know what i'm saying money whatever you know what i'm saying like they 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 hit the reset button on us we had to rebuild everything i kept my car but i think don lost his wit drown lost his wit my brother kept his car 
And um, mm-hmm. we lost, all, I lost my album. I think Drum lost what he was working on for his album. La wasn't started on the album yet. Cannon lost beats, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, we lost a lot of uh, like, like mixtapes, like, like, the, like, the, like the actual pieces. Lost mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. Um, they, they ransacked the studio, put holes in the wall, holes in the ceiling and shit. They was looking for drugs and guns, but you know that wasn't the case. We running, you know, we, we were musicians, so they was tearing that up, looking for that. We had to put the whole thing back, trash the place. It's like mixtape covers, like boxes, thousands, thousands of covers just poured all over the floor, any kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Shit knocked off the wall. I mean, we had to really rebuild. You, it, I got footage of it though, and we, one day we're gonna put the footage out. You know what I'm saying? Oh shit! I got footage of I got I got footage of how it looked after they ran through there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was definitely a, a moment where people, certain people around us, really started to step away from us, and a lot of folks really like they wouldn't touch us, they wouldn't talk to us, they just, you know, they they unaffiliated themselves with us, and people started really thinking about doing other things with their life. You know what I'm saying? Put a lot of shock to a lot of people, and um. My brother was one of the people that was like, yo, we're not going to stop. We're going to take this and make ourselves famous even more off of what happened to us. We're going to wear this with pride. We're going to bust through the door with this shit. I think that was the piece of advice that turned it around for everybody. You know what I'm saying? That turned it around for everybody. How are we going to keep pushing through this? You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, we damn near lost everything with that. We got it all back, though. And it was nothing. We came back stronger than ever after that. Right. Well, I mean, well, as a know, matter of fact, that's oh. that's when we really blew. That's when it really worked. After that happened, they really did us a big favor. Because before we still was hustling, we had we had our movement, still was doing our thing. But after that, that's when we started doing shows in Switzerland and Germany and Sweden. You know, you know what I mean? That's when it got that's when it got serious. You know what I'm saying? That's when they started mm-hmm. cutting the budgets for the albums for real. And that's when it really started going down. You know what I'm saying? Started cutting the checks for real, for real. Word. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like you said, right? When, when like something like that happens to you know, all y'all being you know young black successful men during that time, you know, you you know, you made it when you know cops and certain institutions start fucking with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was lit. It was. I mean, I, and at the same time, I know nobody from the south was doing it like that at the time on that, on that kind of level when it comes to mixtapes. Mm-hmm. Like drama created a brand that was the platform and the go to for street marketing, period. You know what I'm saying? Period. Period. There was no other brand as pivotal and instrumental to just breaking Southern hip-hop than that Gangsta Girls brand. And that's like, that's by far, you know what I'm saying, the forerunner for all of that, especially at that time. So we had, mm-hmm. to, we had to ascend, man. We, we, we had to land on somebody's radar eventually. You know what I'm saying? And we did just that. Right. And you know what's so funny about... Um about you know you having a mass communications degree and then like the whole raid thing is the fact that um i was doing research and everything and then i came across this mass communications textbook that has like a little like some some parts dedicated to the mixtape raid (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, that's crazy yeah you mentioned it too yeah it's all about drama you and everything like that so i i just found that bad ironic (laughs) <laughs> oh shit! I didn't know. I got call drum and tell him that. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, well, I, I, I can see yeah. you. I can see you to that too. If you, um, if you yeah, want. please. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send that to drum. Please, man. Please send me that. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So, um, why degree in mass communications? Um, couple reasons. Uh, 
one, it came from a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, w- I wanted to go to school and I wanted to do, uh, well, my vision was I wanted to do, if I wasn't, if I wasn't going to do music, I wanted to go to law school, but I wanted to go to law school as an entertainment lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't going to do that, then I wanted to be like um, Marcus Graham on Boomerang. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like I like the Eddie Murphy character, Marcus Graham. I, that was my vision. That's what I was going to do. You know what I'm saying? So if I wasn't going to do music, I was going to do entertainment law. The entertainment law was going to be the Marcus Graham situation. So when I got to Clark, I thought that I can go and do pre-law anywhere. You know what I'm saying? But Clark didn't have a, stu- a sturdy pre-law program. So that kind of like... That was my fault. I didn't do the proper research or whatever. I was happy to be at Clark, so fuck it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So I said, yo, I'm going I'm to try to go do marketing or whatever. And advertising like Eddie Murphy did on Boomerang. And I'm talking to my advisor. And my advisor said, yo, you might as well go do PR and mass comm. Clark is a mass comm school. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of, a lot of people come out of Clark. I need, I need to kind of like y'all a list. But it's a lot of quote unquote famous people from the business that went to Clark. You know what I'm saying? On all levels. Journalism. Uh, radio, TV, film, music, a lot of alumni came out of Clark Atlanta. So they were telling me, yo, you might want to go to the mass comm department. It's the most lit department in the school. That's what we're known for. And from that, you can learn entertainment and become an entertainment lawyer. Or from that, you can learn um, entertainment and PR and, and radio and film. And you can you can carry that knowledge over to, you know, marketing and being an advertising rep or some shit like that. I'm like, cool. It's a good place to just you know, to, to do whatever I want to do, I can catapult it from this building, from this from this background. So sure enough, I was there, I met people from the radio, I met brothers from the film. Like a lot of my first videos, you seen my man Donnie Leapart, he shot him. He's from the, the Clark Atlanta Communications Department, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, the, how I got connected with the affiliates was definitely um, from building with Don Cannon, but my man DJ Sense, he was doing radio in that department. And I saw him mm. when I first, first got to Clark with my mom. And I bumped into him like, yo, what up? I'm really the kid. I, I pitched myself to him as soon as I seen him. This is before I even seen him with Don. I already told him I was doing music or whatever. So he saw me with Don. It was like a, it was like a confirmation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I met him down there. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people and a lot of opportunities I got came from being in the mass comm department at Clark at that time. So definitely, definitely a dope place. I think it was just God sending me in that direction. That's where I needed to be to do what I ended up doing. You know what I'm saying? Even now, right, we did a film a couple of years ago. I already had a quote-unquote film background. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it just all made sense, man. That just made sense. Now, um, now, so you go ahead and then you recreate Absolute Greatness. And you have this, you have, like, this, like I think you described it as, like, a one-off deal with Asylum. With like with like an option like to resign if everything went straight. Uh huh. Right. Uh huh. The, the album was called The Crown Prince originally. Oh, okay. That's the album that they took in the raid, and um, a lot of that music, it's uh, I got a couple songs up on YouTube from way back then. You can Google it. You can YouTube it. It's old Willie D. Kid shit, man. I put a couple records up back then. That was mm-hmm. the album, The Crown Prince. I lost the hard drives, but I didn't lose the the, the two track bounces. So I still got the bounces, you know what I'm saying? On my mm. old, one of my old computers, like one of my first Macs I ever had, like an old, old Mac. I could probably plug it back in and, and, and get the records off. I got, them, I got the, the MP3s on the external drive, but I don't got none of the files. You know what I'm saying? It took the files. So I can't, mm. I, I can't put it out in its full form. It'd be like, it'd be rough, but, you know, you could listen to the album. And right. that was, that was the, the Crown Prince album. 
And um, we came back, and they was like, yo, um, I had to deal with Asylum. At the time, Asylum had, uh, like, Boosie, Webby, mm-hmm. D4L, Shorty Low, uh, Rest in Peace, Shorty Low. Yo, that's crazy, too, in this conversation. We had to say rest in peace to about four different artists, man. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. I just said rest in peace. Five Guru, Prodigy, and Shorty Low. This one little interview. We lost, we, we lost a lot of pivotal players, man, in our community, man. That's crazy. That's real crazy. But, yo, neither here nor there. So we did the... um. We did the uh, we did the, the absolute greatness album, just just because we had to deal. Time was right; it was asking for it. But at the same time, the machine wasn't geared toward the type of music that I was creating, even on the Crown Prince album. Not to mention before the Crown Prince album, mm-hmm. the machine of the Asylum was that's back when ringtone rap was the wave. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they were doing "Wipe Me Down" and. Um, uh, Laffy Taffy and I think Bum B was over there holding it down. I think they had just signed Jim Jones or something like that. Something like that. That was the only diversity from that sound was Jim Jones, I think, and uh, Bum B. Other than that, it was straight Southern trap or snap ringtone music. I saw what they had over there. So I'm presenting with an opportunity the whole time. This is some funny shit. We're talking about this. Asylum was a part of the Warner tree. But in that building, you had Atlantic, of course, and then you had Asylum, uh, the floor beneath it. You go to the Atlantic floor, and at the time, it was Lupe Fiasco everywhere, right? <laughs> Lupe skateboards, Lupe posters, Lupe everywhere. And I was a big fan of Lupe from before the Atlantic deal. My man, J-Rock, Peter J-Rock, he went to Morehouse, I went to Clark, and he was, he, he was a friend of Lupe, so he was always giving me the music from Lupe, and I've been been fucking with Lupe, man. Peace to the brother, man. And I'm telling everybody, see, this is another artist that's not getting caught up in the snap music and the ringtone music. This is an artist that's standing firm on doing what he want to do. You know what I'm saying? Now, my team, the people around me telling me I can't do that kind of music because that's not the wave right now. I said, but you know what? The fact that it's not the wave, it's a risk, but the fact that it's not the wave might be how I can carve my own space in this shit because I'm making shit that don't sound like nobody else shit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. I remember the first day we went to the building, we go to the landing floor. I said, you see all these Lupe flyers and stickers and posters everywhere? That's what I'm talking about. He, he's going against the whole machine. Because at the time, T.I. was lit in the Atlantic building. But Lupe was just as lit. You know what I'm saying? Making skateboard, lyrical, you know, type of music he was making. He probably fought his battles, too, with his creative energy and his creative direction. But I'm just saying, he still was able to carve out a way and make his name, you know what I'm saying, among what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. So my folks telling me, nah, not, not possible, not going to happen. So, you, so I had to make some compromised music to kind of fit the bill of what the machine was calling for, you know what I'm saying? And that's what we did. The album did good. I had a good time making it. I wouldn't regret, I don't regret, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change nothing about it, but I must say at the same time, the whole time, I'm like, this really ain't the real me. This ain't really the pure me the whole time. I really, I have my, I have my qualms with it, but I appreciate the opportunity, you know what I'm saying? 100%. Right, and I mean, I th- and you're right, and I think if anything, um, you know, like, just like the, like, you know, like, your artistry at this point, like the stage you are, um, you know, in your career, I can't help but think that, like, that period doing, like, a, you know, just being a part of, like, the whole Gangster Grills wave and, like, you know, making that album, it, it helped you become even more versatile than what you already were during that period. Because, I mean, even, 
Yeah, because I mean, even like on the on the day the game changed, you know, like I didn't I didn't even realize like um like the that that intro was um a ha- uh, paying homage to Guru and hard to earn, and then you know you're rapping on uh, you're rapping on Ice Water, I think on that mixtape too. Right. Uh, yeah. At the end. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right, yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. And then even also, like, during that time, like, you were, you were pretty productive. I recall, like, I think in, in an interview in 2008, you, uh, you mentioned that you, got, you guys had, like, reality show offers. You had, like, two movie scripts that, that, uh, that you had written during that period and everything like that. It had that as well, and the clip ready to go. You know what I'm saying? I always had these, these projects. I'm a, I'm a project guy. All of y'all projects going on. If you stop me and see me in the street right now, you probably see me headed to going to work on a project. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm always on a mission, man. And I, and I, I had as much. Di- now it's even crazier now because I've I've matured in the business. I've seen enough. I've met enough. I've learned enough. Now now I'm on a whole another level with it. Now the, my my level of involvement in my projects and what I want to do next and what I'm working on it's kind of all over the place right now. I'm I'm, I'm like I'm I'm. I'm scattered among a, a, a whole plethora of businesses and opportunities and creative ideas. But even back then, I was the same, you know, uh, organized confusion guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I had, I had movies. I had, you know what I'm saying, clothing ideas I wanted to do, um, TV shits I wanted to do, uh, managing certain other artists I wanted, to, I wanted to bring to the table and put them out, all these things. You know what I'm saying? I was young and I was early in the business, so I couldn't quite put my hand on all of it. But I got my shit off how I wanted to, and I definitely set myself up to be productive today. I align myself up to be good right now, and I, and that's the best part about it all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I uh, I want to talk a bit about your lifestyle line in, in a little bit too. Um, and so, all right, so I'm curious to know, like, so after like absolute greatness, you know, you then make this transition, well, not really a transition, but you know, you you uh, you develop this this whole concept of the fly to really um, you know showcase your artistry and like, you know, and, and who you are fully, I guess, or more of a, more of a three-dimensional, uh, you know, project from you. Um, but during that period, like after Absolute Greatness and, you know, um, and it doing well and everything, were you pressured to sign like another deal with like another major or like go back to Asylum? Not, not at all because, um, with the Absolute Greatness and while we were doing it, I'm telling lie like yo, you know, I want to do this, you know, to secure the, you know, sec- just to finish off the deal. You know what I'm saying? They provided advances. They, you know, they provided a budget. They finally opened the budget to us. They said they were ready. I'm turning music in. Let's go. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That's just how I am. But the whole time I'm doing, I'm like yo, I want to be able to be as creative and as free to do as I want to do. I don't want to have to make a song with another quote-unquote trap artist to try to tap into a lane that I'm not even going into. Like, the first one, the first year, we had Gucci Mane and, and um, all these people on the record, and I got love for all them brothers, but I thought that was kind of smothering what I wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like Jock and Gucci and Flo Rida and Trey. And it was dope. You know what I'm saying? But that kind of like, I kind of got lost in the sauce of who I really am in that process. So I told bro, I said, y'all want to be able to make what I want to make even if that means I have to go completely indie to do it. You know what I'm saying? Or or we can let them know, hey, next go around, we're going to change the format a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Now, at the time, Drama had a situation with Atlantic 2, Gangsta mm-hmm. Wheels, album one and two was, was, was around that time. And I saw the, the trouble he was having. You know what I'm saying? Because he was signed to Grand Hustle originally. 
And he wasn't even signed to Atlantic Direct. He was signed to Grand Hustle to Atlantic. So I saw the trouble he was having with the buildings and working like that. And I said, well, that's dope because I love the mainstream support and everything. But a lot of the ways I'm getting coming from something I'm doing by myself. We put a video out for Tell Em. And that mm-hmm. did just as good as the Love for Money video, damn it, as far, as far as the the reception I was looking for. And then even after that, like I was one of the first artists to really start playing that iTunes game. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's on iTunes now, but we did a project called uh, Never a Dull Moment. Mm-hmm. That's one of the first independent, I mean, it's like straight up, one of the first independent hip-hop releases on a digital platform like that. Niggas mm-hmm. was still putting out CDs when I did that. I, I ain't make no hard copies of that. I'm now it's completely digital. That mm. guy was one of the first, I remember bringing that idea to my brother and them, they laughed at me. They were like, yo, <laughs> you know, that's, that, you a computer, you a brainy computer nigga. Like, we, we, we still in the street, we got CD. We, I'm telling you, the internet about to be the wave. I'm telling you, the internet, I saw that coming back before that happened. I remember RZA came to the studio and he had a flash drive back in like 06, 07, <laughs> a flash drive. He was like, yo, he was like, yo, this going to be the wave of the future right here. Everybody going to be no more hard copies, no more booklets, no more. It's going to be strictly, strictly, strictly digital. He put out a flash drive, Bobby Digital. He put it out of his pocket. I was like, yo, and, I, and that, when he did that, it struck a nerve with me. I'm talking to my man, Bannon, who we did uh, Never a Dull Moment. He's working with a, uh, with a company, Clockwork Music, talking to Dan mm-hmm. Green, and Dan Green said the same thing. So Never a Dull Moment was the first project of the, like one, one of the first completely digital albums to come out from that cloth. So I'm, I got these ideas in my mind. We're doing absolute greatness and we put it out and it did what it did. But I got a lot of mixed reviews from my grassroots following. You know what I'm saying? A lot of folks said, bro, this ain't the willy that. I came to see, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's too compromised, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a line on, the, I did a project called The Crates, mm-hmm. and there's a line on the record called Cornucopia. I said, uh, I think it's like, thank you for giving them the pure you, you know what I'm saying? Never again will I shudder. Like, that That was a comment to that. Like, people was calling my phone, people who I grew up with, people who were following my music from back when we first, first got started, people like family members, they're like, yo, this is dope, I like it but it's all entertainment. Where, where are you in this, Willie? You know what I'm saying? Like, where are you at? You know what I'm saying? It's entertaining. It's dope. We rocking with it. We know you're making money. Proud of you. But where are you at? Like, you're not spending no time on yourself. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't like I wasn't thinking the same thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, was, I was thinking it too. So I was like, yo, we're going to get them this one album and we're not going to go and sign a second one or a third one because... When we came back, they wanted to gave me another one and done. They don't wanted me to get down for like five albums, some crazy oh, shit damn. like that. And I and I wasn't gonna lock back in like that and be waiting on budgets and waiting on green lights and being told what I can't do. And I gotta make a song there. If they don't approve it, they're gonna release the budget for the single. If they don't approve the single first, and I remember Lupe had he had just fell out with them too because he didn't want to do um I forget the name of the record, but they don't give it to Bob. Mm-hmm. And I remember Bob didn't want. I remember they Bob. B.O.B. stormed off of his tour because he didn't want to do that. They, they came to pick him up for promo, so he wouldn't get in the car. He was, like, beefing with the label. And I, I was watching all this happening. I said, yeah, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to get very uninterested in the music without even giving, it, without, without giving myself a chance to at least present who I really am to the people. You know what I'm saying? So I looked at it like, well, damn, now that I got this big platform, everybody's watching me now. I'm on a solemn one. I got drama, gangster grills, Philly, da 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 We got all these bells and whistles. Now was the perfect time to take the mask off, which is kind of why I did the, the fly film. You see the mm-hmm. fly film, it's about the mask coming off. 
That's all that, that all stems from that part of my life right there. Now I can take the mask off and stop being the quote unquote team player for the label and start being who I really am. And I told myself when I do that, I'm willing to take whatever comes with that. If I go from, you know, 20,000 people following me to 5,000 people following me, I'll take a five organic true following before I take that extra 15,000 people who really just come in here because of the label and the brand and drama and all these other bullshit things that have nothing to do with me. You know what I'm saying? So I did that. And mm-hmm. that's where the fly came from. The fly was, the, the fly was my effort. I let people know, okay, you heard this, you've seen that. You think you know me, but you don't know me. This is what this is who I am. So the fly mixtape was the beginning of that. And mm-hmm. this is the fly mixtape that's a little bit more intense than absolute greatness. It's more intense than all that gangster girl shit I did. You know what I'm saying? It's more personal. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's more this more descriptive. You know what I mean? It's more if you know me, you know that's really me. You know what I'm saying? Listen to that. And if and and the projects after that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, never a dull moment sounds just like me. The fly too, that's just like me. Mm-hmm. The crates, the cure, the cure too, the crate, uh, um, masterpiece theater, all that man. Living daylights, so that's aquamarine. Like that's me somewhere. That's me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All me. And I said I'll, I'll take an independent following of people who really know me and really fuck with me for who I am before I take this fabricated following of people who, who may, may or not support it tomorrow because I, I didn't keep the facade going. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not doing that. Right. Now, when it comes to, like, this concept of the fly, you know, it, I mean, it, it has layered meanings, you're right. Like, you know, it's kind of flying away, breaking, like, kind of, like, breaking away from like, the whole gangster grills aesthetic. And then it also revolves around, I guess, just being fly in general and just having fly rhymes. But I can't help but think, just with your interest in film and everything like that, is it also a play on your interest in film and movies and everything like that? Yeah, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the how I did it, look the first fly mixtape. It was like airplanes. It was, it was aviated. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It was fly like in a literal sense, like that. And of course, it was fly like you know, fly rhymes and the fly lifestyle was that too. We shot a video in a helicopter and all that kind of crazy shit. It was kind of yeah, fly, yeah. you know. We did we did that, and that was the first project. On the second project, transformation. That was the transformation. That's when, that's when my team kind of parted ways at that time. Everybody started doing their own thing, and we kind of wasn't how we used to be. So I'm going through that. Cause I'm in the middle of that. You know what I'm saying? Like Cannon and Drown and Sins are my friends. A lot. That's my family. So I'm like in the middle of that. So I'm mm. like, it's like being in the middle of a, of a divorce. You know what I'm saying? Watching your team break up like that. And for me, I had that on my back. The shifting in the business and the shifting in my everyday friends I be with every day. And then I had a shifting in just my life. Period. You know what I'm saying? Uh, as far as my career is concerned, people are like, what you gonna do next? So what's now? So what you gonna do? Da-da-da-da. You know, a lot of talk, you know what I'm saying, from everybody. I'm like, well, damn, I need to make some moves to make sure no matter what happens, I stand firm on these brands and I stand firm on what it is I do, you know what I'm saying, as an artist. This is like, I looked at it more of an opportunity, you know what I'm saying? Like, now I got all the space in the world to be myself and make what I want to make. And I think what I can make, it'll it save my career, it'll save what I'm interested in, it'll save everything. And that's exactly what I did with the fly, the transformation. So the fly, so the fly two, was basically my opportunity to go crazy and make and make a whole entire lane of that type of music I want to make. And I grabbed onto that movie, the fly, mm-hmm. the Jeff Goldblum joint. I grabbed onto the movie. And if you go back and look at the Instagram or the promos on the internet and everything, 
I was using visuals from that mm. movie for everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's my tie-in to the film. You know, when the film, he went to the machine and transferred to this movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was some, it was, it was some horror film, some crazy shit. But um, to me, I transformed at that time. I became a monster at that time. I had to be. You know what I'm saying? That's when everything started picking up for me as a solo artist. I was no longer the gangster grills dude with drama. I, I kind of, I kind of separated myself from that at that point. You know what I'm saying? People, of course, know me for that, but that album was the moment I separated myself from all of that. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't about being my younger brother or being drama's artist no more. I had to transform. You know what I'm saying? Right, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm just so, I'm so happy, uh, so glad you said that because um, I remember um, the, the, the first song that came off the fly too, that came out, you know, came up on the internet, um, and I think it was, if I'm correct, it was uh, Boothshot Lincoln. I was still in college, I was in my room, and I was, you know, looking at like two dope boys or rap radar, whatever it was, and um, you know, I just saw the picture. I'm like, oh, some like some new Willie just came out, you know, because I was still like, I was still in the cure and everything like that, and so I'm like, hmm, this is interesting, you know, like the like the like the picture for it. I was like, this is kind of intense, and then I just put that shit on. And like the way you just like got got off on that, I was like, something must have like you know hit this nigga. He must be going through something or whatever like that. Right, man, and like, right, man, because ever like ever and, and and I feel like because um I yeah I do feel like like ever since ever since the fly too, and I even like never a dull moment too, because that came out like a little before, right? You you. Yeah, right. Um, cause you just like it's just like ever since then you just had you just turned on this switch and like you just haven't stopped and I just think like you're right like I feel like you turned like Super Saiyan or something like ever since never a dull moment a little bit and um and so when it comes to never a dull moment because you you record you and Lee Bannon recorded overseas right Nah, we recorded uh, that in California we did okay. a lot of that in, out of Sacramento yeah a lot of that was out there. It was definitely a light, a light switch moment. That's that's a hundred percent true. I said because I, I I found myself in a position where it was like now or never. You know what I mean? They got you affiliated and, and tied up and being an artist with gangster grills, DJ drama, and then you like a lot of dark man, younger brother. Mm. You have no identity on your own. You know what I'm saying? And now that they're now, now that they're separating their business relationship between drama and law, that have left me nowhere, man. Like where would I would have been? If I just would have sat back and let them just do that without me being active, you know what I'm saying? Right. I would have got. I'm already muddled and compromised from my association with them, which was the source of my success. So I can never front on it, but I never have my own identity until after they part. They parted ways, you know what I'm saying? So that pressure and that inspiration and that motivation on my back—that's all that you hear on Never a Dull Moment and the Fly Two and. All that shit that came after that. It was me being able to have the free, the freedom and the space to do me and be me. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, on Never a Dull Moment, like it, it, it's a, it's a rather dark album because you tend to always, like on almost every song, I guess, uh, other than Bathwater Running, you tend to, you know, mention gun violence and and things of that nature. So. During that period, like, was there like a particular like um, I don't know event or something like that that influenced you? I mean, your writing about gun violence. Now, gun violence is just a, re a reality where I'm from. That that's just real. You know what I'm saying? If we if we speak about anything organic, we can't leave that out of the conversation. You know what I'm saying? I, I have friends and family members and people I know and people I don't know uh, all from my community affected heavily by gun violence. I made a record called Cockatoo Things Back, 
and I put that on absolute greatness. That that's that's pretty much a a true story. You know what I'm saying? Um, the the record newsflash on Never a Dull mm-hmm. Moment, and the record The Guilt on Living Daylights. Those are all derived from somewhat real situations. I kind of you know you know protected the innocent and about you know change some shit up, but you know those are realities. You know what I'm saying? Like we call Grand Rapids gun rule where mm-hmm. I'm from. I'm not proud of that. I used to be proud of, when I was young, I was a little more ignorant about the situation. So I was, you know, it was tough to say that. Now I'm a little bit older. I'm not, I don't even, I don't really say that as much anymore. You know what I'm saying? I'm not really proud of it because it's a real thing, man. It's a real thing. So never a dull moment. Once again, like I'll tell you about the ladies. It was just me being honest. It was just me being an artist. You know what I'm saying? So if you hear gun violence shit, that's real shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm just taking it from an honest place. That's all. I wasn't trying to glorify it. Nothing like that, but. Same thing, like we said about the ladies being on the records here and there. Honest place, man. I can't speak honestly without, without speaking on it. Now, why didn't Lost and Friends make the cut for Never a Dull Moment? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always curious about that. Yeah, man, you really did your research. It's crazy. Lost and Friends was a record that we made after Never a Dull Moment was packaged and, 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 and uh, turned into iTunes. Okay. And... Lost in France. Lost in France was a record that Lee Bannon was gonna put on his album. He supposed to follow up uh, Never a Dull Moment with a series of albums. The next album was gonna be the Lee Bannon album, and it was gonna be, it was called it was called something French or something France. And he he went and got all these French all these French records and all of the beats coming from French music. You know what I'm saying? And he was gonna get like me and Planet Asia and a couple other guys to get on there. And it's gonna be his album. And I was gonna help him do that, push it, and you know, run with it. His solo album, and they was gonna link back up and do another, uh, never a dull moment part two, which we did. And you heard it, but you heard it on different projects. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like never a dull moment part two is die free from the from the fly two, uh, fucking toxic with alchemists from the fly two. That's all never a dull mm-hmm. moment part two. Uh, me and Cron Don, your encouragement on the cure two. That's that's uh, that's for never a dull moment two. Uh, me, uh, uh, Pooh from a uh, little brother, Joe Scudder, we got a record, Game Winning Shot, that's from there. Uh, me and La got a record called, uh, Boston George Shades, that's from there. Like, we, we did it, but Ben and I, he, I, for some reason, he didn't want to follow up with the project, so I just used the songs for all the projects. But Lost in Friends didn't make it because that wasn't for Never the Moment, too. That was, that was for a Lee Bannon album. And we, and we put it on Never the Moment. We could have. It was too late, and then we just put it on a uh, Lee Band album that never came out. Okay, cool. Now, this is something that I also noticed, and you know, th- now this could just be you know that's just something that you always did. You just haven't had, you just didn't get the chance to do. But you're one. Well, I think well to me at least, you're like the only rapper that I know that 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 who who has like really made this a thing, and that's like uh, reverse rhyming. Where you know, like uh, for, for the listeners out there, like a reverse rhyme is literally you just you just rhyme the first syllable of a word rather than, than the last syllable of a word when you're rhyme when you're making like poetry or whatever like that. And you really like made this like a thing, and you continue to do it, you know, from never a dull moment up until now with Deutschmark. So during that period, was that something that you tapped into, or it was just something that you always did? Um, it's a technique. It's called I am a pretender. It's 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 a it's a it's a poetic uh, technique, mm-hmm. and I and I, I I studied that shit, but I didn't try to do it. I'm just nothing. That I'm, I'm telling you, as an artist, there's nothing I'm doing that I'm trying to do. You know what I'm saying? I'm just doing mm-hmm. it. A 
I'm doing whatever comes natural. So I can't even really say why I'm doing that and how I'm doing that. I'm just doing this shit, bro. It's just the music just sends me in that direction, man. I, I can't, I can't, I can't claim to to say I do that purposely or I, or I strategize my rhymes like that. It don't come out like that. I just write the shit and it comes how it come. I can't even think about it. If I start thinking about it, I'm going <laughs> to be thinking too hard. You know what I mean? I got to just, gotta just go in there and be me. I can't think about it. Mm-hmm. I've been through process where I was thinking too hard and now and that that's not the kind of music I want to make. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to think about nothing. I want to go in there and turn the music on and whatever comes out, comes out. So I'm not deliberately saying, mm, I'm not going to rhyme this word. I'm going to rhyme a different word. I'm not thinking about it that deep. When you start doing that, it's no longer art. Now you, now you, now you just putting something together. You being more of a strategist than an artist. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I, I think strategy is important, but strategy is better for marketing. You know what, mm. what I'm saying? Not for being a poet. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. That's just something that I be doing, bro. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, I was on uh, I was on um, Rap Genius when Rap Genius first came out. It was new. This before anybody even knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And the the guys from Rap Genius reached out to me. They gave me a verified page and all that was dope. But um. I uploaded a couple rhymes and I was breaking down the rhymes and shit. It's basically talking about my approach and what I did here. And just basically boastful on the, on the rhymes. I consider myself, if not the best, one of the best wordsmiths ever. That's just my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like ain't too many people as, as naturally skillful and careful as I am with putting the words together like that. And Rap Genius gave me an outlet to kind of like showcase that. Mm-hmm. By the time I did about two or three of them, I found myself giving away my secrets. And then I even, I don't consider them secrets, but I was, I found myself letting people in a little bit too close to the technique. And one thing I do know about artists, artists get quote unquote inspired very easy. You know what I'm saying? You have somebody sounding just like you doing exactly what you do in no time. You know what I'm saying? So I had to pull back from being so you know, disclosed on how I do what I do and how I do it. You know what I'm saying? So as far as, you know, I am in pentameters and mixing words and reverse rhyming and all of that, that is something that comes natural that I try not to really even focus on how and why too much, you know? Mm-hmm. No. You know what, with just, well, just me being like an outsider, not being being in your head, it seems to me that your... Um when you when you when you uh, when you had well when you start like putting like more of an em- emphasis on rhyme in that way, it seems to me that it, it enabled you to switch your flow up a bit more because when it comes to you know just like regular rhyming and when people rhyme in like the final syllable they put you know they always put like an emphasis on like the final syllable so you so like you know I guess it can just hit better when it comes to the rhyming but with you rhyming the first syllables you don't got to do that so you're you're able to flesh uh, i think like you know switch up the flow a bit a bit more easier over certain beats right and and, and it lends it lends up to be more colorful as well it's mm-hmm. not so predictable it's not so predictable it's not so calculated you don't know what's about to come next that makes it more colorful makes it more fun you know what i'm saying so it's not so you know like i said predictable you know what i mean not mm-hmm. to mention the English the English language only has but so many words, right? So, <laughs> if, so, so if, if you make as many songs as I made and as many raps as I wrote, it's easy to become bored with this shit. Easy to be like, oh, I already rapped the word book before. You know what I'm saying? I already rapped the word table before. I already used that. You know what I'm saying? So I ended up by, once again, saying nothing calculated and deliberate. It's natural. I just get bored, man. You know what I'm saying? I get bored. I can't come in there and just rap in four beat counts. And rap, you know, one word at the end, some, some, some cat, 
some, 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 that, some, 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 that, some, 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 rat, like that. That shit, I'd rap like that when I was 11. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but, you know, man, a hundred songs later, a thousand songs later, shit is boring, man. You know what I mean? So a lot of the techniques and a lot of the skills you see, that's just me flexing with the English, English, English lexicon. Same thing like, 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 like a Harlem Globe try to basketball play. He can easily dribble the ball down the court. When he's throwing the ball behind his back and spinning on his finger and trick balling and bouncing his foot <laughs> and all that. I'm a trick artist, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a soccer player. Dribble the ball, but I throw the ball up, bounce it on my head and kick it back. And you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a trick. I'm a magician. I'm a wizard, man. Unless I can't just go from A to B. It ain't that. That's too easy. That's too plain. It's too boring. You know what I'm saying? Do you write mainly with on pen and paper, or do you like writing your phone nowadays? Uh, I haven't wrote a rap on pen and paper in so long, man. That, well, uh, I really haven't even wrote anything on pen and paper. That's all I tell you, honest. Every everything is on my phone, man. Everything is on my phone. Everything is on my phone. If you. If you find my phone, you find all my rhymes. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, for real. For real. Everything's on the phone, man. Everything's on the phone. And what I've been doing lately, I've been, um, I used to, well, I'm, like, I'm, 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 I come from a, from a different school, so as you know, being a musician is concerned. When I used, used to make music, um, I didn't have access to a studio when I first mm-hmm. started, of course, right? So my whole thing was I taught myself to do everything at home. So you go to the studio, you're paying for that, right? Mm-hmm. So when you come to the studio, I just perform my records and I go home, I leave. You know what I'm saying? Even when I had my shit with Phillies and we had, I, I got a studio in my house now, but prior to that, I had a studio, you know, for the Phillies who was doing our thing. I would go in that studio and treat that like it wasn't even my studio. Like you go in there and niggas being there smoking weed, drinking, talking, kicking it, I like, it took me a while to get used to being leisure in the studio. I was still coming in there like, y'all ready to go? Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I knock all my songs out and then I chill. Then I leave or something like that. It took me a while to go in there and vibe. People say that now it's vibe in the studio. I never vibed in the studio. That's something I did later in my career. You know what I'm saying? Because my thing was go home, write all the music, memorize it if you can, get familiar with the, with the rhymes, and then go to the studio and perform them. And I'll perform like six, seven, eight songs a day. And then just leave. You know what I'm saying? Or do all that, then kick it. You know what I'm saying? So I wasn't used to writing music in the studio. You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a new thing for me, honestly. Sitting down, coming to a studio. When I say new, I mean the last five, six years new. But that's a new thing for me. I come to the studio and they playing the beat. I got to sit there right there on the spot and write a rhyme and make a song. That's man. That's that's something I'll start doing late in the, the second half of my early part of my career. You know what I'm saying? So now I go still not and I do just that. I don't even think no more. I just go in there and say, "Yo, play the music, turn it on, and I write whatever comes to me at the time." And I go in there and I put it down. And I might leave and come and come back do some more later. You know what I'm saying? Or I might do what I do now and go get some food, come back and do it. I'm I'm more comfortable now than I used to be. I used to be like a machine. Once upon a time, like a robot, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Coming in, just perform, finish the record, and break out, you know what I'm saying? Now I, now I take my time and, you know, flex a little bit more and play with it a little bit more than I did before, so, mm. yeah, new mm. process, you know? You tend, to, you tend to, like, release your music when it's cold out. 
But I think, well, like Never a Dull Moment came out when it was warm and Deutschmarsch came out when it was pretty warm, too. But do you mainly only write when it's, when it's like, um, you know, during like the warmer periods? Nah, man. <laughs> nah, I'm glad you asked that, too. Nah, mm-hmm. I write all year round. I, I, I record all year round. I make music. I make music all the time. I record music all the time. I write all the time. Um, but what it is is that I think the type of music I make, and, and like I said, now, you know, a lot of artists have, have, have chimed in on it now and, and helped us create more of a uh, awareness around this type of music. But once upon a time, the music I was making, I was like one of the only artists making that kind of music to that extent like that, being that brave with the platform I had to make that type of music. So I know the music sounded better when the weather was a certain way. It kind of complemented it more. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about a lot of elements and even the beats. The beats is way more colder and they mm. present themselves like that. You know what I'm saying? And either the beats are cold or they're really warm. And that, that's wintertime. If you be outside brick cold or you can be indoors under the fireplace, you know what I'm saying, with the heat on. Like, the music always sounded like winter to me. Like, the Cure 2 sounds like the winter. Mm-hmm. The Fly 2 sounds like the winter. Never a Dull Moment sounds like the winter. Deutschmark sounds like the winter. You know what I'm saying? Like, these, mm-hmm. like the projects, they sound like wintery projects. So I was like, yo, put the music out at the time where it's appropriate. You know what I'm saying? So that's all that was. But I'm creating year-round. Like, that's, like Deutschmark was supposed to come out uh, earlier this year, supposed to come out like in January. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So it, it would have been a wintertime project. You know what I'm saying? But we wanted to get the rollout together for the marketing. That took us a little bit longer, so they're coming out in May. But it was designed for the wintertime. Same thing like Aquamarine. That was designed for the summertime. I wrote that project and I recorded it all in one summer. And then when I did it, I didn't like it. You know what I'm saying? I said, now nah, I'm gonna scrap it and redo it. And when I scrapped it, it was too late. The summertime was closing. And I started writing the new Aquamarine project and we started shooting this movie, The Fly 2. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I was in Michigan in the winter writing about summertime shit on the boat and I couldn't <laughs> get, you know what I mean? Crazy, <laughs> I couldn't fall into the space. So I had to really be really, really, really imaginative and take creative freedoms to imagine myself doing summertime shit while in the winter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it, I, w- I wasn't liking it, so I stopped the whole process on Aquamarine and focused on the album. And I wrote, I wrote the Somewhere EP really fast just to fill that void because yeah. I know people wanted some music from me. I threw that out. Now, Somewhere sounds like the wintertime. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. I wrote that in the blizzard. Literally, I was in the crib in the blizzard in Michigan writing that shit while it was storming outside. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that shit sounds like a wintertime record. You know what I'm saying? I had to re- return to Aquamarine when it warmed up a bit, I was able to drop that that following summer. Mm. So yeah, I'm working year round. I just I just think it's always better to put projects out during the appropriate season. You know what I'm saying? That the projects sound like. Mm. Okay, because well, it, it's you know it um it it's good that you explained that because like I just see like how you get heckled so bad on Twitter if you don't put out something. Oh my gosh, man! I love it though. <laughs> <laughs> man, I was doing a film. We was doing a fly. We was doing a fly short film. And mind you, I've, I've worked on films before. I wrote films before. It's my first time really bringing one to fruition and really producing it and getting it done. I'm stoked. You know what I'm saying? I'm on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm talking about it. I'm promoting. I'm big and I'm taking pictures. Every time I put some shit up, my people will be like, man, fuck that movie. What a rap set. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's up, bro? What's up with the album, though? Where the music at? And I'm like, damn, my niggas, I can't experience 
And he's like, nope. <laughs> like, where the music at? I'm like, I, I, I really appreciate that from everybody, and I love it, man, because minus that, I really could have drifted off into the film world for real, man, and never looked back. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm being a little bit extra, but that's actually true. The people kept me in remembrance that, yo, the music is why we came to see you. You know what I'm saying? So no matter what else I do, I can never leave the music alone. And the people constantly reminded me that even after being gone for over a year, as far as dropping albums is concerned, the, still through that whole year and change, people always hit me up on Twitter and Instagram and say, yo, bro, where the music at, though? Where the music at, though? You know what I mean? These other businesses is cool. These other creative projects is cool. But where the music at? And that is a constant reminder that no matter what, I got to always keep the people, you know what I'm saying, keep my connection with the people through these albums. Right now, um, you know, through you know, throughout like you know some of your projects, you always you, you mentioned Ramadan and things like that. So I can't help but wonder, um, how has Islam defined your artistry? Um, the, 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 the more more than artistry just defines my life, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It, it keeps me at a point to where I can make um, I can make these divine references. You know what I'm saying? And to me, that's more valuable than anything. Because no matter what's going on in life, and I was going on in my life or the world or my friends and family's lives, I can always refer what's going on to a point of reference. Well, this is happening because of this, right? Mm-hmm. This can be resolved by doing this, right? This can be looked at like this because this is how things are. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of times people have issues because we don't know where to go or how to feel. Like, you know, life and just business, personal, whatever it may be, love, whatever it may be. Life is all about response, yo. You know what I'm saying? It's all about how you respond to things. We, and we have limitations on what we can create and, and, and avoid and cause and what's going to happen. We have limitations on that. But the one thing we got 100% control over is how we respond to things. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And Islam helps me by having a reference point to go back to. It's like reading a book. You don't understand a word. You go to the back and look at the glossary. You know what I mean? Look at the, you know, look at the definitions. You can say, okay, this means that. This means that. Islam helps me go back and say, this means that. This means this. This is th- like that. You know what I'm saying? And that keeps my life in order. And that allows me to go and be a productive artist, a productive businessman, a productive, you know, uh, family member or friend or whatever it may be. That helps me to be a better person. So being mm-hmm. an artist is part of my, one of the many hats that I wear. You know what I'm saying? Islam is just the base by which I'm able to be productive and successful and at peace in everything that I do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even even being Muslim, that that came from just conversations I had with guys older than me, talking about righteousness, talking about God, talking about all the religions, right? Because we respect all religions, you know what I'm saying? Different mm-hmm. conversations about religion and beliefs and knowledge of self, you know what I'm saying, and God and family, all these conversations lend themselves to me to study more and learn more about Islam. You know what I'm saying? So traditionally, no, but just my family, definitely just, you know, conversations. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Being, now, being cultured people, that helped me, you know what I'm saying, learn more. Mm. Now, also when it comes to being cultured, you know, you always, throughout all the uh, your albums and everything like that, your projects, you always mention, you know, some shit about cigars or some kind of like savory libation or whatever like that. So... Uh, you know, me being, I'm, I'm also, well, I'm a cigar and pipe smoker, so 
when it comes to smoking cigars and you know people tend to smoke cigars and pipes you know they tend to have like these reflective moments when it comes to the experiences they have you know trying out these different you know cigars and everything like that so uh does does the do you like cigars and like you know beer tastings like does that help you in some kind of way like with your art and i don't mean that when it comes to you know, like the nicotine or alcohol or anything like I mean, like when it comes to like just being more reflective and really just like taking the time out and just like, you know, living in the moment, I guess. Um, I couldn't say, um, I can't say it helps, <laughs> but I can just say that it, 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 um, uh, it's, it's just another thing that I do in real life that finds its way into the art. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not a guy that smoke cigars every day. Like, right, it ain't nothing right, like right. that. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's, I'm not, I'm not only like that, but, um, my old man, my pop, he, he, he's, he was into it, um, a little bit more so than I was once upon a time. I kind of took it off and went further than him and got more into it. But it's just something that we, if we hanging out, we got, we got, we got a house up in the mountains. We got another house on the lake, um, up this way too. And we go hang out and we kick it in the water, kick it up in the mountains and shit. And, that was, and it was just like an appropriate thing to do, it felt like. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we're bonding and you're talking, you got family around, or somebody cooking and you're just hanging out. Pretty dope. You know what I mean? It's a cool thing to do. And then I hang out with some guys. My man L, shout out to him. He's a beer journalist and he's really oh. big into beer and oh. stuff L. like Shopton. that. Yeah, he's really big <laughs> into that. And then I met some guys hanging out with him that were really, really into cigars. A couple guys own cigar shops and whatnot. And it became more of an educational thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm learning about libations and beer and cigars. This is like a fucking science. Yeah. You know what I'm, I'm learning yeah. about these things. You know what I'm saying? Like, and me, I'm, I'm definitely a food guy. So the way that that plays into, you know, the food and beverage industry, the way that plays into all of that, I'm talking about like flavor profiles and pairings. And shit like that, and, and food just in general. That's a whole culture. That's a whole nother world. And I can't help but to respect it as another art form. You know what I'm saying? So when I get into stuff like that, cigars, beer, food, shit like that, that's just me being an artist once again. You know what I'm mm. saying? So I don't think I need any of that to be a creative artist. But um, does that add to my portfolio as an artist? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Mm. 100%. I saw on Instagram, like, you know, you, you puff on Cohiba and Diamond Crown, but, like, uh, what are, like, what, what's your go-to cigar? Uh, Liga, Liga Provider number nine, that's a really, mm. really good one. That's a good one. Uh, Gurkha has some good ones. Mm. Um, you got the end, the anniversary Gurkha's really dope. You know what I'm saying? I, I started off, um, well, I, I'm also on, 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 uh, Connecticut's right. I started Maduro's mm. all the time. They really heavy, but I do more Connecticut's now because that way I can I can really 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 get into different types. The Maduro's will stop your night sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you do that and you're done for the night. You know what I'm saying? The Connecticut I can do that and I can get back to you know whatever else I was doing. So yeah, the the, the Connecticut the Gurkha anniversary one is pretty dope. The Liga number nine is dope. Can't go wrong with Monte Cristo. That's a that's a that you can't mm. go wrong with that. Diamond got some dope ones. Um. I got a whole cigar joint in my crib where I keep all the labels for the ones that I really like. A couple mm. of them, I don't, I don't even, I don't even remember the names of them. But there's, a, you know, a few go tos. You know what I'm saying? That Liga is my favorite, and Liga's a Maduro. But um, my man Troy Caesar, he put me on to that one. You know what I'm saying? He put that's a, that's a cigar. To me, I like more. Um, 
I like more of the coffee, leathery, earthy type of situations there. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I like stouts as a good pairing for stouts and stuff like that. This cigar sort of changes flavor profiles through the whole cigar. You got to sit there and smoke the whole thing because it starts off kind of chocolatey. Mm-hmm. And then it gets like, as, as it gets spicy and it gets hotter, it gets, it gets, it gets kind of leathery. And then it kind of goes back to chocolate, but it got like a, like a coffee, cocoa finish on it toward the end. And it keeps like changing in flavor profiles. You know what I'm saying? It's a really complex cigar. That's one that I would smoke when I'm just really cooling out. You know what I'm saying? That's a really good one. You know, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good one there. But then I'm not always down to try new ones too. You know what I'm saying? I try new, new joints too. My man owned a cigar spot. He put me onto these uh, Arturo Frentes. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty dope. Those are pretty dope too. And those are everyday smoke cigars. You can just do those. You're on the beach or whatever. You ain't got to, you know, that's cool. You can just do that. You know, walking in, the, walking through the to, to the town or some shit. You just chilling. You on vacation? You can do something like that. You know what I'm saying? So, right. I don't consider myself a, a aficionado quite, but you know, I partake here and there. You know what I mean? I mean, like, like the the way the way you rap about them, shit. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't claim to be, I don't claim to be. You know what I mean? I don't claim to be the cigar guy, but you know, that's just one thing that I dabble in, especially if I'm chilling. If we out of town or we on vacation. Or, we up at the one of the cribs and shit. Then yeah, you know we got that. You know we got right. that for that. Right. Yeah. Like my uh, my favorite uh, cigar is probably Brickhouse. I love Brickhouse cigars. And um, th- this other cigar I haven't tried because I- I'm mainly a pipe smoker. And like so when it gets warm okay. outside, I um you know I'll I'll buy a few cigars here and there. And um I just got the uh, the Victor Sinclair 55 series. So I'll probably smoke one of those in August around my birthday or whatever like that to chill out real quick. And I, I'm thinking that's really good for it's your birthday, you chilling, or something like that. But I don't wake up in the morning and smoke a cigar. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> nah, I ain't that guy. Yeah, you know I said nah, nothing like that. Nothing like that. All right, all right. Now, um, so you all, so now you're doing, you know, like work in the community with, with the Grand Rapids community and everything, everything like that with uh, your lifestyle brand and Gun Rule USA, along with your partner Jonathan Jokes. Yeah, yeah, it's great, awesome. Grand Rapids right. USA. Oh, oh, so, oh, so, so it's pronounced Grand Rapids, not Gun Rule. Nah, not Gun Rule USA. Okay. It's Grand Rapids USA. Yes, okay. sir. All right, my bad, my bad. No, 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 ain't not, ain't not. Can you speak a bit about you know what you guys are aiming to do with that line and everything like that? And um, and I know like now you guys are working with like Do Say and everything like that. So congrats on that. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. My man Jonathan just put some plays together with Do Say. Um. Mm-hmm. Well, GRUSA is basically, uh, um, it's, 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 it's not a clothing line. I'm not a haberdasher. I tell people all the time, I'm not a haberdasher. I don't make clothes. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't got a sewing machine. I don't do none of that. That's not what I do. But Grand Rapids USA is a merchandising line to promote city pride and entrepreneurship and unity for the city I come from. You know what I'm saying? Mm. One thing about Grand Rapids, we're the second largest city in the state of Michigan, but we're the most fastest growing and economically advanced city in the entire state. You know what I'm saying? There's probably more money in Grand Rapids than there are anywhere in the state of Michigan. Man, I ain't probably. There's more economic prowess in that city than any city in the entire state. You know what I'm saying? Um, what's going on up there as far as the economy is concerned, African-Americans aren't in the forefront of the economy the way that they should be. 
and you got people on different sides of the spectrum when it comes to culture, uh, economics, education, uh, you know, tax brackets, X, Y, Z. It's a diverse place to be. For it to be so fast growing and thriving the way it is, it's kind of segregated in its diversity. GRUSA is a tool and a piece that says no matter where we come from in this city, no matter what our economic situation is, our political views are, no matter what we got going on, the one thing we can all agree on as a common denominator is that we love this city. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So GRUSA is the tool to bring everybody together. You could be white, black, rich, poor, be a gender or a doctor or a businessman or whatever it may be. You can say I could put on this hat or this shirt and represent the pride I have for this town. And so we came along doing that. There was no vehicle to bring us all together that way. And there was definitely no uh, merchandising line that spoke to that. I'll get off the airplane and you will see Detroit shit in the gift shop at the airport. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You go out to the community and you see Detroit Tigers hats on everybody in the hood. You know what I'm saying? It's just, that was a real thing. And I'm not saying that because I'm a big Detroit fan as well as Michigan. So I'm not a love for Detroit too, but we had nothing for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? We got complacent with not having our own. That's why I wanted to tag for use for GRUSA to support your own. We don't support our own enough. We, we, we'll gladly wear a Yankee hat or a Detroit hat or whatever hat, but where's the Grand Rapids hats? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now, we got a minor league baseball team up there, a minor league hockey team up there. We now got a minor league basketball team up there as well, but they don't make merchandising accessible and affordable at a time where people can wear it and feel proud, proud of wearing it. So people still, even with that being said, you still don't see white caps hats. You don't see drive hats. You don't see none of that up there. Griffiths hats, you don't see that. And those are the, the minor league sports teams up there. So GRUSA came to fill the void. You know what I'm saying? Now when you go out, you can wear a Grand Rapids hat and represent where you're from. Now, what we did was we made it based in the city, but we have a digital store online, of course, so now you can get it from anywhere in the world. So now you got all these transplants, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they come from Grand Rapids and then they find their wealth outside of Grand Rapids. So now GRUSA can be, I thought you put the flag on the side of it. Now you can plant your flag with that. You're working out in San Diego, you're working out in Atlanta, you got a house out of Florida, you moved to Denver, you, wherever you are in the world, you can now put that hat on and carry the flag for the city outside of the city. And when people from Grand Rapids will tell you, when you're from Michigan, and, they, and you say, hey, where you from? You say, Michigan. They say, oh, Detroit. They just put that on you all. They say you're from Detroit. You can't be from Grand Rapids, Flint, Lansing, Battle Creek, Saginaw. You got to be from Detroit. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> people, people not from Michigan, they put that Detroit on you. So you're from Michigan. And it makes sense. Detroit's the most popular and famous city. One of the most famous cities in the world. So you know it's famous outside of, uh, within Michigan. But what we did was we provided a way for folks from Grand Rapids to be proud to be from Grand Rapids. And they can represent Grand Rapids in style, taste, and class. And ain't nothing segregated about it. You can be white, black, rich, poor. You can still wear that piece of that, that, that hat represent the town so it's a unity piece it's a, a pride piece and it's a and, and, and it's a gesture in entrepreneurship as well because i see my my friends and my family they see what we're doing now and they're impressed by the business you know aspect of it and there's not a lot of black economy in my town right now so it's good for that as well mm. you know i was um I was looking a bit into the history about Grand Rapids, and I and I can't think of like the the author and like the book um, off the top of my head. But 
um, from what I'm from what I understood, like the argument that um, this, the historian was making was the fact that when it came to race relations in Grand Rapids, it wasn't so much of like the like kind of like the Jim Crow thing. It was more or less what this person deemed as like managerial racism or something like that, where where it was more or less focused around businesses and keeping blacks like kind of out of like that business sector well economically and everything like that i can't think of the name of the damn book right now but but yeah man that's really dope what you're doing man yeah yeah um i I know one thing that happened and and we you know black white other we, we all take uh accountability for this uh there was a report uh at the forbes magazine or forbes the the, the uh online the website Mm-hmm. Forbes.com, they came out and they said that, um, you know, through research, they found that Grand Rapids is the number one city in the nation for poor black economy. So blacks mm-hmm. are doing the worst economically in Grand Rapids. Now, that right there struck out the black eye for all of us, whether you rich, poor, black, white. We didn't we didn't like that. Nobody liked that. You know, what I mean, from the most white elite to the most black underprivileged, we didn't like that. You know what I'm saying? So what we needed to do immediately was respond to that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not sure how valid that report was, but for us to even come up in that that way, we all took initiative to make sure we fight that and make a change. So GRUSA is just another hat thrown in the ring. No pun intended. It's another hat thrown in the ring to fight that, you know what I'm saying, and combat that and try to make a change, you know, in the community up there. Mm. No doubt. So, um, I guess in closing, you, so you have like a lot of, you know, you have, you have other business ventures, you have GRUSA, um, you know, you're doing your thing with the movies and everything like that. I think you're, you're going to be in a role, you have a role in a movie called Karma and everything like that. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I just, I just got a call today for an audition for another film. Uh, we're going to start in, in July. I got to do the audition this weekend. That's, that's just be pretty dope too. But um yeah, yeah I'm I'm getting back to that as well. I'm locking in with that. I want to I want to do more uh more writing, but the acting part is fun too though. Damn. So, I mean, so well, you know, well actually how how did you like fall into well, I mean, I guess it's not it's not hard to imagine you falling falling into those kinds of things because you're interested in them and like, you know, just you moving around in the industry, but um how did you exactly like, you know, end up getting, you know, calls for auditions and everything like that? Um the Fly film when I did uh. the fly film, the the fly film, I wrote I wrote that film and passed it off to some friends of mine who 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 uh, produced a script out of it. And from the script, I took it to another friend of mine, Scott Erickson. He and he helped me produce it. And my man Kevin Bozinski directed it. And my man John Burroughs. Both Kevin and John shot my music videos from from the past. Uh, John John shot Waste Not One Not and Halal Tuna. And mm. Kevin shot Die Free and Goodfellas. You know what I'm saying? So I work with them with music videos. So they basically were saying, let's shoot some more videos. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's do a movie. They said, that sounds good too. So I took the story. I gave it to my man, Scott. He brought it to his man, Nick. Nick scripted it. And then Scott went back with me and Kevin and John. And we sat down and we developed the film. We produced it. So the Fly Short film was a big thing in the town because once again, it's this multicultural opportunity bringing everybody together. There's pictures on my Instagram. You look at it. The, the premiere night, we had 600, 650 people plus in one event to watch that film that night. 
This is moms, dads, kids, aunts, uncles, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, investors, actors, actresses, athletes, criminals, right? Everybody <clears throat> in the room to watch this film. You know what I'm saying? That's something that I'm so proud of because I brought all walks of life from my town together to celebrate, once again, pride, art, unity, you know what I'm saying, on this tip right here. We was on the news, the news came out, spent some time on the set, we did an audition, they ran the audition thing on the news, it was a big deal, you know what I'm mm. saying, like I really did something positive for the town. So when I did that, I kind of like branded myself as this movie guy, you know what I'm saying, now mind you, I had experience with movies from college, but I never got a chance to produce anything, so I wasn't just a rookie to the, to the, you know, to the field itself, but that was the moment that I kind of made myself known to be a guy that can do this. The film was dope. The production was out. I mean, the production value was crazy. We had a great time on set. Once again, the premiere was crazy. So now everybody from that community knows that this is what I do. So I'm mm. getting, after that, I was getting calls. Folks called me. You know what I'm saying? You want to write? You want to act? You want to, like, what's up? What's up? And then the good thing about that is I already have this artistic background from the music. So they know... I can provide some value as an artist in some capacity. So that really helped me. So the calls I get now, they all stem from that, that opportunity there. Mm, that's what's up, man. And um, all right, so in closing, I mean, you, you know, you, you have, you know, you have your hands in all these different kinds of pots and everything like that, the movies, uh, GRUSA and everything like that. And I mean, you, and you did like mention this earlier about like the music and everything like that, but do you see yourself, you know, stepping back or having more or having, I guess, having longer breaks rather from the music because of all these opportunities? Um, that, it, it happened to me previously, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I, I, like when we did, we did the flash show film, I took a break from music for about a year and we put out somewhere because people started going crazy on me, like, yo, where the music at? And then after the Fly 3, I didn't put a project out for another year and a half, and people were like, nah, once again, I really <laughs> appreciate this, because they could have not said nothing at all, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let me stay away, you know what I'm saying? And now that I wanted to stay, stay away, I just got my hands so many different things, you know, I'm spreading myself thin, you know what I mean? It's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, but my folks, my followers, my fans, my listeners, my supporters, they wouldn't let me stay away. I'm like, where's the music? Where's the music? So Deutschmarks is kind of like me getting back to the foundation, which is the music. I don't intend on being away for a long period of time ever again. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't. No matter what's going on, I got to make time to produce these albums and put these, put these albums out, no matter what. Okay, cool, man. And um, so the next project that you, that, that's coming out will be Live the uh, Living Daylights 2? Possibly, okay, possibly. Okay. I got um, I got I got two smaller projects that um, um one is done, the other one's halfway done. Um, my man Brady James, y'all probably don't know who he is, but he works um, he works with some producers that's working with that. Well, God bless them, working with Prodigy, mm-hmm. and then working with um, your old Drew, the rapper out of New York. Yeah. They work with they work with some guys in that in that lane up there. Brady, I don't think he put nothing out quite yet that you might have heard, but he's an exceptional producer and he's making a lot of good shit that's like right up my alley. I mean, I'm got a project done. I might just throw that out real quick just to just just to let people hear it. You know what I'm saying? And um, me and him are gonna keep working in the future as well. I might just throw that out for now, but just to let that rock before Living Daylight Two, because Living Daylight Two is gonna, gonna require some more uh, 
some business and some rollout for that. You know what mm. I'm saying? And that's going to take me at least another month or two. And mm. I don't want to be absent that long. I don't want to be absent that long. You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting on music I can drop right now, so why wait? You know what I'm saying? And then um, me and my man Sport, uh, he, he, he's out of, he's out of uh, Ohio. He works for LeBron James and, 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 the, and the good brothers out of Ohio. He worked with Just Blaze. He, he's working with Rick Ross, I think, coming up soon. And um, really, 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 really cool guy, man. He he got some beats he sent me as well. We got a project together. I might throw that out maybe before uh, the Bronze Project. And then after that, I got some other stuff that works. Uh, me and Big Ghost supposed to be getting up to work. Oh, and, shit. Um, yeah. And then my man S-Class, mm-hmm. Sonny out of Grand Rapids, we did a project on him. Uh, we split it down the middle. It was like seven joints. I'm on like six of them. You know what I'm saying? We're going to probably throw that out too and let him get started as well. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, got some joints coming though. You'll hear everything real soon. Real soon. Cool, man. And uh, where can people find you? Everything is Zell Will You the Kid. Everything. T H E W I L L I E T H E K I D. Everything. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. It's all the Willie the Kid. So check me out there. All right, cool. Well, there you have it. I mean, clocking in at around two hours. So this is going to be really nice in-depth interview. Um, I don't think you've done one of these in-depth, like super in-depth interviews in a while, man. So Yeah, I appreciate you. Oh, no doubt, man. And so this has been Shit the Channel 10 Podcast. You can check out us at channel10podcast.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Channel 10 Pod. Uh, be sure to check out the Wu-Tang Podcast. The Wu-Tang Podcast is back up. WuTangPodcast.com, Wu-Tang Podcast on Twitter and everything like that. And with all that said, we out. Peace. Feeling this here, yeah, son. You feel it, man. What up, son? You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, on, man? What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. What up? All good, baby. In every hood, son. What up, y'all? CNN Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas is grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas is grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface.